walking here. ManaDeprived.com is proud to present Top 8 Magic Podcast with Michael J. Flores and Brian David Marshall. Brought to your ears thanks to face2facegames.com. Hello, everybody. Brian David Marshall here for Top 8 Magic. I'm joined right now by Zvi Mashwitz. Michael J. Flores will be joining us shortly. He, air quotes, <coughs> just got out of a meeting. Uh, but he's on his way. Uh, and uh, we kind of want to do something a little bit different for Top 8 Magic here. Uh, we're going to do a Mythic Championship 5 preview show. So, you know, all the deck lists from Mythic Championship are up. Uh, they went post, they were posted pretty early. Like, it was kind of a pretty aggressive posting schedule for deck lists. Like, as a deck designer, how does that feel for you in terms of, like, having the decks in, like, almost a full week? before uh, a pro tour or mythic championship or whatever the heck you want to call it this year is called. So an interesting note is that in the past, when we didn't have a constantly shifting public metagame and you didn't constantly see what everybody was doing and you didn't have a situation that what was good on Monday was like old and busted by Thursday, I actually would lock my deck lists in my head, like mentally, a week or two before the Pro Tour. When I played Rising Waters, I knew two weeks before the Pro Tour within a card exactly what I was going to do. If you'd asked me to lock my deck list, I would have get, thought I was giving up very little value. I figured I'd figure stuff out. Uh, when I played Fluctuator, I knew well in advance that was what I was doing. Um, other top eights were mostly pretty similar. Right. Um, well, I mean, Fluctuator, kind of, I mean, just to sort of put it in perspective for people, this is a long time ago. That's yeah, what, a long 1999? Time ago. Yeah, something like that. And yeah, so a full 20 years. Right, and in some cases, like when I brought back with Mythic, like the deck actually just emerged as the first thing I was trying, like almost the final list uh, was theory crafted. But other times, like there are so many days when like it used, people would be, the night before, up, they'd lose sleep. That was like really important in a way that like I thought was a mistake because of the lost sleep being too important. Just trying new stuff and jamming things and trying to solve the final problems of their deck and trying to see what was out there. And now they're forcing people to lock in very quickly after the set is released with deck lists over a week before the tournament comes out. And then they're posting all the lists with enough time to actually like test specific matchups. Right. Right. So like players right now who are in this tournament are asking questions like, okay, there's a bunch of players playing this particular Simic Okodak, right? And a bunch of players playing the specific Bant Golos list. Let's test different sideboard plans for both sides. Let's see exactly how these games play out. What do I mull again? You know, detailed questions. E- even though the players see deck lists at the start of the tournament under normal circumstances now, um, you, you still are relying on some pretty quick learning and instincts and uh, and, and some ex- previous experience with those archetypes to decide your sideboarding strategy. But if you have this, the deck list exposed to the world for, a, you know, several days. This is more like playing top eight matches. Right. The entire tournament, except their best two out of three. Right. So you have enough time to actually test all of the potential matchups that are more than one or two people playing it for your decks, especially if you have a team and have the entire plan ready to go. And so you're submitting your deck, knowing that not only will they know your list, but they will have time to figure out how your list works, what you are thinking, right. and how to beat it. So you can't submit a deck that 
is going to innovate and take people by surprise unless it can actually be robust and handle people figuring out what you're up to and how to respond to it. And it also greatly advances the value of having a sideboard whose plans are not determined and obvious. So one thing is that a tuner's sideboard is a huge advantage in this situation versus a direct sideboard. So if your sideboard is something like, I have four noxious fumes and I have four disdainful strokes, everybody knows more or less what those are for. Right. If you have cards that are just the fourth copy of this thing I already have, and then this thing is a slightly different spot, and this makes me more more anti-creature slightly, and this makes you know this gives me more solidity in this other way, and there's 67 cards you could be playing in a given matchup, that is so much stronger now. Because when you're testing for a top eight, so often you go to sleep and your teammates wake you up to say, you're doing something we didn't expect. I never took out factor fiction in testing, not once in Tokyo. And then my teammates wake me up and say, you're taking it out in the top eight in the quarterfinals. And I took it out again in the finals because I understood once they had tested exactly what they meant because you could see the list right in front of you and understand exactly what mattered against exactly this text, completely different world. So, so what is the impact of that on the gameplay we're gonna see in the Mythic Championship? Like, do you think this makes for, for better magic, like more thoughtful magic? Or is some of the luster taken away from people trying to frantically figure out what each other's decks are supposed to do? I think it tests different skills. I, I think that if, you, if you're testing what's, who's quick on their feet, who can theorycraft in the middle of a tournament, who can solve new problems, and who can be prepared for whatever the life throws at them on the spot, and who can hedge their bets properly because they don't know what's going on, you test one type of thing. And then if you're testing... Who can do the work? Who can assemble a team of people to work together to figure out exactly what to do in every possible situation and have a plan and then execute that plan and play around specific cards, specific strategies, specific things that are happening, know exactly what matters, you're testing a very different set of things. A different type of player has the advantage. Interesting. It's interesting. I mean, what, what's your sense of which you prefer personally. Like, would you prefer to play in a tournament like this where you have all this information? Your, your deck is locked in, which is something you said you liked to do anyway, but you also know what everyone else is doing and nobody can catch you off guard. Or do you prefer to go into the tournament not knowing and having no one know what you're doing? So from a pure enjoying the tournament, like the game that I think is the best game that I want to be playing, I don't want to know. I don't want to know my opponent's deck list. I don't want them to know mine because I want part of the puzzle of a match is figuring out who this other person is and disguising who you are. Sidebar. Yes. <laughs> Sidebar. I want to talk a little bit really quick about Zvi's... Uh, we work together. We're, we're, we're in the office all the time. We talk a lot about movies. We talk a lot about sports. Um, and Zvi has some pretty hard and fast rules about spoilers. So for example, if I went to see the new Star Wars film and Zvi wanted to know what my review is, what would, what would you, how much information would you want me to impart to you about any given movie? So if he were to see The Rise of Skywalker, <laughs> I would want the review, and there are two possible reviews. <laughs> There's the review, yes, 
And there's the review, no. Yes means you should see The Rise of Skywalker in a theater. No means you should not see Rise of Skywalker in a theater. That is all. I, I mean, just to give you a sense of how much Zvi likes to not have information revealed going into an event, in case you're like, well, why wouldn't you want to know? You know, well, you know he, he actually doesn't. But from a, from a gameplay perspective, how do you think this is going to play? Well, part of it is that sort of in, the, in the first game of a match, one of the things that you're thinking about is, does playing this card or making this play or doing this thing give away information about my deck? So like if you concede in a world in which you have no outs, but a, a, your deck could have outs if it was built differently, you're giving information to the opponent. Right. And if those outs are in your sideboard, it's a great concession in general. Because you're giving him the impression that a situation is one you can't win from. And then next game, you can win from there. Right? Whereas if you can't win from that position and you can't win from that position in game two, you absolutely should not give that information away. And yes, if you're listening to this and you see me concede in that situation, you have a bit of information. But that's how powerful the strategy is, is that I don't care. I'm doing it anyway because you're going to forget. Your instincts are going to take over. <laughs> what, uh, what impact do you think that this lack of surprise or the fact that everyone's going to know what you're doing ends up having on the metagame? I mean, this is... So, so 68 players in the Mythic Championship. It's going to start Friday. Probably This will probably be up late Thursday. So if you're listening to this or Friday morning, if you're listening to this on Friday, go hop on Twitch and you can actually see people playing the Mythic Championship. It'll have started. But... Uh, 29 Golos decks out of 68 players, which is just a staggering percentage of the field. Um, you know, and some are Bant Golos, some are Golos Fires. There's a deck that is titled Four Color Golos, which seems like maybe playing with a handicap? I don't know. It's a bad title. <laughs> You're playing Golos. How many colors are there, right? How many fingers am I holding up? <laughs> Um, how, how do you think that this, this number of players on the Golos deck uh, was impacted? Do you think that we would have seen more players or, or, or fewer players I with think, hidden deck lists? I think we would have seen less players yeah. with hidden deck lists. I think that if you look at these deck lists, the term we were using when we were looking at them the first time was this player, this player gave up. <laughs> this player saw the list that everyone else was using, tried to find a better way to play this deck, tried to find a better deck to play instead, failed, gave up. There's no shame in it. It's just gave, you know, folded, acknowledged that this deck had been built as far as they could tell, as well as they could build it, and played the list. But that means that you're not going to have a disadvantage by giving people a week to try and prepare for that deck because they already know what they're going to do against the stock list. Right. When you walk into a pro tour... A Mythic Championship at this level, where you're one of the elites, especially in the MPL, you know what your anti-stock list plan is. But if I present you with a very different list, or a subtly different list that changes what the right answer is, then the fact that you don't realize that you're up against something else can work to my advantage in a big way. But now if you have a week to realize no against that player, you actually bring this hateful stroke out. Because he's actually trying to do this subtly different thing. That's really bad for innovation. Right. 
Because I can't find a sneaky way to do things unless that sneaky way survives examination. And so, I mean, that obviously contributed to a lot of players saying, I'd rather learn exactly how to play the best deck the right way. Now, you, Instead. Yeah, you, you mentioned that giving up conversation. The, per, the person who seems most indicative to me of that phenomenon is Greg Orange. Absolutely. That was the moment I think it... it I think my response to Greg Orange just playing the deck was, okay, we banned Fetal in the Dead already. <laughs> um, not that I wasn't already on the train of... This is just a miserable viewer experience. A lot of players find it a miserable play experience. So... We don't have to have a card be broken to admit that it was a mistake. Yeah, this is this is so crazy to me because Greg is the consummate control player. I mean, he is as much a control player as uh, you know as as Guillaume Wafatapa. Well, that's what I was talking about Wafatapa, right? I played a match on the ladder, so I'm playing you know a random foodie deck, food food style deck. Yeah, and I run into a player who Brian says is that. Paul Chian, was it? Tom Ross. Tom Ross. Tom Ross. <laughs> so it's Tom Ross. I, I suspect... So like, at first we think, oh, it's cool. This is so cool. He's playing like the you know Tranquil Cove and it's like Vinny plays an island and a plane. It's like, this is actually blue-white. Ooh, it's blue-white control. How is this working? He's tethering all my spells. What's going on? And then he ekes out a win. And he's slowly... I see more and more card drawing and like I clearly just like... I'm run out of stuff and like I have nothing I can do. And I forget it. No, I was running... Um, this was back when I was running uh, the Doom Patrol. Doom Patrol deck. Right. So basically, he was just doing all of these, like, kind of that, kind of that, kind of that, kind of that. Draw cards, draw cards, draw cards. And I was just getting ground out. And there was literally nothing I could possibly do. And it was, like, a, one of these 90-10 matchups. And I was, like... He's like, no, that's Tom Ross. I'm like, what? That's a real player? Like, what's going on? <laughs> um, and I was like, how does that beat Golos? And he's like... And we, like BDM just messages him. He's like, how does that beat Golos? And he's like, well, top is deck. <laughs> I guess it just counters everything relevant. I don't know. And I'm like, but Field of the Dead, right? Guys, this deck doesn't kill you forever. And then you play a bunch of Field of the Deads and you win. Like, what, what am I missing? And we don't... I, I'm assuming what we're missing is that uh, Fatapa was lucky and didn't run into enough Field of the Deads. And uh, it's fine. Maybe it's good against the rest of the field. I don't know. I mean, maybe if you cast all your Wraths at instant speed with Teferi... It's okay. I don't. I you have to do it every turn. Every turn. <laughs> I mean, you have a lot of card draw, but that's a, still a tall order, man. And so, I'm pretty skeptical yeah. that control can be played at all when you have to deal with field of the dead. Like one of the decks that benefits the most from banning field of the dead is control becomes a thing you can theoretically do. And again. And, and again, Greg Orange not playing control, right? Like this is the meta. I mean. In theory, if you're a control player, this is the metagame you dream about. One Forty percent of the field is playing some vari variation of Golos. This should be your your dream scenario, and he just gave up and became one of the forty percent. If you had a solution in the format, he would have found it. But but what I'm saying is, for a control player, it doesn't even need to be a good solution. Like if they even see the glimmer of a solution. You know what I mean? They're going to do it and yeah. they're going to just have so much more experience playing their deck against your deck than you have playing against their deck that they're going to eke out enough wins right. to convince I'm talking them to about the, There's the world's worst Wasteland variant available. And they can just barely take out Field of the Dead. <laughs> they're going to use every search card to find all four copies and they're going to play Fay of Wishes to get another cop. Like maybe put the third cop, fourth card in the sideboard and use Granted to get it. I don't know. Figure out something. 
This is a format where literally Gregorich might be staring at Fairbushes going, I can wish for anything in the world that I want on turn 10. And I wish to be playing Bank Golos. And I don't know how that matters. <laughs> yeah. Right? Not that much. It doesn't yeah. quite do what I needed to do. Yeah, this this to me is is really like the dead canary in the coal mine. You know, they pull the cage up, they're like, how is it? And they're like, the canary's just dead. It's yeah. not like gasping for air. It's right. laying at the bottom of the cage yeah. on yesterday's newspaper. Now, one of the nicknames I had for this pro tour was this Mythic Championship was uh, Mythic Championship Echoes of an Elusive Age <laughs> uh, after the new, dragon, the new Dragon Quest. Yeah. Because this is not the world anymore. Like, I was listening to the... Um, the pro play, the pro players podcast. Sure, I think like this was how standard works, and as someone who has been climbing the ladder, this is no longer how standard works. Well, that's great, right? You and I, you and I have, have have talked about a lot of standard in the last week, and there's multiple decks that are omnipresent right now that are just not represented in this field. There's okay, so just that I've seen tons of copies of. There's a Tamur Planeswalker deck. There's a red blue flash deck, right? There's a number of different Drowned Secret stacks that people are playing. Um, there's either, you know, a mono blue version that is Mil U, and then there's, I think, the much, obviously, much better version, which uh, Peter Glogowski, who's, who's playing in this event, uh, popularized, yeah. which is the Dredge version, which has the Creeping Chills and the Narcomoebas and uh, the, the Arclight Phoenix. Definitely seen that. And that deck looks sweet. There's uh, also it's also a great Mystic Sanctuary. There's another Fires of Innovate. There's another Fires of Innovation deck that's not here. That was I forget exactly which colors, but I think it was a uh, Tamur Fires of Innovation yeah. deck. It's basically just good stuff. There's a Wilderness Reclamation deck. We oh yeah, Collection Explosion. Right, we, we saw a bunch of that yesterday. There's the second Mono Red deck that like a lot of players at Diamond are somehow playing that doesn't play the enchantment. So what what do you think has happened with those decks to Make, is it because everyone who was testing for Mythic Championship 5 had their backup deck that they really liked? Couldn't beat Golos with it necessarily or didn't think it was better than playing Golos. And then once the Mythic Championship decks were locked in, they went out onto Arena and play, had some fun playing Magic for a week before they get to Long Beach. And suddenly all these cool deck lists are out. I think the time pressure really wears on people. And I think that if your deck list is due on Wednesday... What do you do on Monday? Because if you're working on this deck on Monday, this weird new Tamur deck, this new weird Flash deck, right? Whatever it is, you have to, you only have two days to get your list in. So if it turns out it's not where it wants to be in time, you're suddenly handing in a completely stock Golos list. Right. And a lot of, some of these players probably, that's what happened. They spent all their time on other decks. Knowing they had a stock list in their pocket that wasn't that bad, that was tuned really well by somebody else. And then at the last minute, they're like, no, my blue-red flash deck's not there. I'm submitting Golos. I've also seen blue-green flash, by the way. Yeah. Some people have reported success with that. Yelger has reported a lot of success with that deck. Right. And then once, you, once your deck list is submitted, you can be like, to your friends, you're like, yeah, you can play that deck wherever you want now. You don't have to keep it secret anymore. Whatever you want to do. Absolutely. And I, I'm not sharing secrets. These decks are all over the ladder. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, Hoogland has been rocking it with the Timur Planeswalker deck. I've faced it like four or five times. It's funny. We, we, we didn't. That was another deck where the first time we played against it, 
you know, where you were, I don't even remember what deck you were playing. But I, was, like, I was playing the Mono Green deck. You were playing, oh, the Mono Green deck that you had uh, tweeted about. Which yeah. is, you can't lose a game to, I lost one game out of seven that I played against when I was playing, when I was testing it on the ladder to go lose. And I felt so cheated to lose that game. It's <laughs> so hard to lose. You're, you're literally killing people on turn four with a bunch of gross or just a bunch of quest, or a questing beast or just attacking. Right. And their list plan is, you know, my good draw is I'm going to second turn growth spiral into third turn circuitous routes into fourth turn do a thing that affects the board. So on the draw, how do they ever win a game? I'm actually asking because I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Qu Questing Beast is, is quite a handful for the Golos decks to deal with. Questing Beasts and to some extent Embercleave like, which is in several of the night decks and some other places here, are both very nightmarish for their list. Uh, there's a number of other just things in the format, and people have just figured out that these Govos lists, they specifically present you with a delayed bunch of zombies that continuously regenerates. And it turns out if what you do doesn't care about that and a handful of rafts, and only a handful, as in, like, you're kind of lucky to have one unless they specifically go fires and then fail wishes then you're going to have a problem. So if you're R&D, yeah. do you, is your inclination that for real, that fire, that field of the dead needs to be banned? Or do you think that the format actually needs the correct amount of time to find its equilibrium point? So we've is seen, this going to be a hasty ban of something? We've happens? seen a large number of tournaments dominated by Golos in real life. Yeah. We've seen horrific camera play. As in, like, the players are playing, they're playing properly, and it just looks like a giant mess, and nobody at home understands what's going on because these methods are super weird, and board presence is ephemeral, and, like, nothing, nothing that matters is clear. Right? It's all very weird. And I think there's plenty of play in the mirror. I think there's plenty of play in all of these matchups. But, you know, the problem is, in the current metagame, I don't even know if Golos is a good deck. <laughs> I don't know if it's tier one. It's definitely not broken. There are at least three distinct decks that I know of that dominate Golos in the current metagame. Uh, I mean, so I know that Tamur Planeswalkers had a very strong matchup against Golos. I know that Mono Green, if anyone were to play it, it's not in the metagame right now, but it has a very, very strong matchup against Golos. You know, I was hearing Siggy say that he had a very strong, he liked his Knights matchup against the type of Knights that deck that was being played by Ben Stark and Ephra. Is, is there but, any, is there, so there's 11 Simic food decks in the field. Yes. With... Many of them with main deck disdainful stroke. Yes. Is and, and and many of the players playing it are on the Pantheon. So this is, you know, this is no nonsense. There is zero taking care of business team. There is no zero there is zero chance whatsoever they did not test extensively that they did not test extensively against Golos. All the versions that we see, nobody innovated in a way that's gonna take them by surprise or fundamentally change the matchup. And there's zero percent chance that they don't strongly believe, with a lot of testing, that they are substantially favored in that matchup. Yeah. Because their their deck is clearly weaker in the mirror than it would otherwise be in order to strengthen that matchup. So 
they clearly decided this is a strong matchup. Right, you know, just looking at Declan, you saw Kai's playing it, Cuneo's playing it, Reed Duke's playing it, Huey's playing it, Shahar Shanar's playing it, right? That's like two, three, wait, three world champions, one world championship finalist, uh, Andrew Cuneo, a two-time Pro Tour Top 8 competitor. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, that, that these are people who know how to prepare for a big event and a big event in a small field. And ha have chosen not to play Golos. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, the, the only hypothesis other than this dominates Golos is they have a hypothesis that Golos has such a high, huge target on its back and there'd be so many copies that anti-Golos decks would prosper. And those anti-Golos decks are going to be pretty low to the ground and easy to pick off with Wicked Wolves and other parts of the food engine. And they're just playing a solid list and their theory is... We can dominate these other creature decks very well. We can hold our own against Golos. So, so and by day two, we're going to be in charge. So you think Simic Food could be a little... I mean, by that assessment, if you're expecting more low-to-the-ground decks, it's not a ton. So is it, is you, think it's a, you think there's a chance that Simic Food's a slight miscalculation? I mean, I think there's a chance they're registering a metagame with Scissors. Yeah. Right? In a, in a sense that, like, this is the other good deck... And, but I don't, I mean, again, if you want the green acceleration engine to be strong as Golos, you can definitely do that. But if we look at the mail, the, the list, so like if you look at, say, Reed Duke's list, right, which I have here, he has a bunch of cards in this list that are not the cards that break through against uh, the Golos deck, right? You're playing Wicked Wolves, the full set. You're playing, I mean, he has Leafkin Druid in the mana slot, where, like, clearly if you were playing, like, Mana Leaf, he has, he has one mana, mana Leaf Pixie, two Leafkin Druid, one Paradise Druid. The others, I think, have four Paradise Druids. But, like, clearly Mara, clearly Mana Leaf Pixie is the card you want if you want to beat Golos, because being able to fly over can be a big deal. Right. I mean, I never thought about it until I looked at these lists, because I haven't played decks with mana good enough to sustain that, and obviously that is a risk. Like, there's only... 13 natural blue sources that aren't creatures, so it's a little risky. Maybe you can't play four for that reason, but it would help. Like, you've got Nyssa as his high end into Hydroid Crisis, and to me, this is an accusation that you can play that kind of longish game, right, and you can gain card advantage through the Nyssa engine. But Nyssa has three threes to just walk into zombies, right? Hydroid Crisis is a large man that draws you a bunch of cards but if those cards don't properly impact the situation, you're just giving them time, they turn the corner. So, and it also doesn't really interact that well with Disdainful Stroke to have to like tap out, you know, tap out for these things in this way. So I'm not sure. This does not look that optimized from my perspective for this matchup, especially compared to some of the new things that are coming out. It looks like it's designed to be a really solid deck. Like This is a solid deck, right? It's... I have lots of accelerators into Nyssa, into Hydroid Crisis. You know, I have a lot of speed. I have a lot of power. I have a very solid mana base because I'm only two colors, right? Not much pain. Once Upon a Time is amazing in these decks. There's a lot to be said for this type of list. Um, you know, I do think that some of the things we're seeing now... I mean, for, 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 for main deck, Disdainful Stroke is... That is the one thing that stands out. But 
There's a lot to be said for. You know what? Everyone has something. Yeah, <laughs> but for, for disabled stroke and for wicked wolf, seem like they're at odds with each other. <laughs> There's the theory that like in the games where you want to play wicked wolf. You don't care that your disdainful stroke is in your hand and can't be cast right now. Sure. And the games where you want to cast a disdainful stroke, casting Wicked Wolf wasn't very high impact right now. <laughs> so either way, it's fine. Um, I mean, disdainful stroke is going to be ta- counter target Embercleave, right? Against some of the night decks, for example. Sure. But that's not the worst card because that's their best card. Right. So it's not good, but. If they're counting on that resolving, they might be in for a rude surprise. And I, and I guess in the mirror, you're you're ready for, I guess, their Wicked Wolf, some of their... Questing you know, Beast and Wicked Wolf their and Questing Nissa Beast, yeah. ...are all really important. Like, I, see, I, had, I had to actually double-checked, right? Like, the laundry list of things Questing Beast does. I was like, maybe Questing... No, Questing Beast can't be countered. Yes, <laughs> yes, you can. In fact, I, I had countered plenty of times. <laughs> you just double-check. It's worth checking. There's a lot of text on that card. But it's interesting. When I was playing versions of green decks that had a lot of free drops, such that I thought Disdainful Stroke was actually a bad card against me, people would leave it in. I think because they're used to like a lot of they're used to play they're playing with Nissa decks and so they're used to facing Nissas. And so they're thinking that the curves go higher in many ways than they do, slash there aren't as many low to the ground cards as there are, or those cards are just mana accelerators, as opposed to real threats. And so I'm looking at this list, and yeah, like if you're up against a similar list, you're not unhappy to have just infill stroke in your deck, right? In the mirror, I doubt it's coming out. Right. So it's pretty solid. There's a lot of questions. Um, I hope there's a lot to love about these lists. Um, if there are any notes, like I, I don't like having only three Love Struck Beasts in the board. I feel like this is a four or zero card. Because the second copy of Love Struck Beast, first of all, because of the way curves work, you end up curving properly, right? Because on your the turn after you have three mana for the first one, you cast the fourth, the second one with the backup token. So the curve still works when you want it. And also, it generates an additional 1-1 one, one to let the electric beast actually attack, although presumably you're playing them because you want a wall. Right. Right? But in my mind, like, this is a 4-of as opposed to, like, Voracious Hydra, which to me is a card that says, I want to have a thing for my later game. More than that, like, I want a card that's really flexible, and I don't necessarily need 4 of this. So I like to see those two swapped. Um, the rest of the sideboard seems fairly straightforward. I've always wanted a mystical dispute in these situations. I'm not sure when it comes in again. Against Golos in particular, I always worry they can just pay the three. Sure. Um, interesting Interesting thing about the, the Simic Food deck is, to me, only four one-drop mana accelerators. Obviously, there's only four that are reliable or semi-reliable, but everybody, it seems like, is playing Arboreal Grazer these days. There's a lot of Arboreal Grazers in this field. Some decks have the eight accelerators. Some decks have some weird mix. Some decks have six. There's also the, you know, some various number of Arboreal Druids in the Golos decks, and that's a point of disagreement. Some people feel that Arboreal Grazer is too important not to play. Um, like, not having Oko on turn two, I mean... I, I've, I've seen you be like, oh, I don't have a turn two Oko. I'm going to lose this match, right? Like, while, while play, playing through some cues, right? Like, it, it's... I definitely felt like, you know, there were certainly matchups where I was testing an Oko deck, and it was like, oh, he had turn two Oko both games, and I had turn two other three drop both games, so I lost. Right. Or he had turn two Oko... And you and, had turn three Oko. Yeah, and I had turn three Oko... <laughs> So that game didn't work out. I mean, this is this is a 
turn three Oko deck more often than it's a turn two Oko deck. Right, it has only... Only uh, the Gilded Only the Gilded Deuce. It doesn't have Arboreal Druid. Um, I mean, Arboreal Grazer. Druid. Yeah. Failure Druid, right? Uh, but, like, that means that you can't mulligan hands that don't get to three on turn two. Right. You can't assume a goose. You can assume with the London Mulligan a goose or a grazer if the deck is built that way. So you are playing a game of, he accepts the games where it's like turn three Wicked Wolf or turn three Questing Beast into turn four Nessa is what I'm doing here. And to be fair, for most of Magic, that sounds like a pretty good game. Right. It's just that that's a little bit slow. And in my mind, that lets, first of all, that lets other Simic Food decks that, like, especially on the draw. Like, if, you, if you're on the draw with a turn three play against a guy on the play with a turn two play, yeah, that play better be, like, Wicked Wolf with food. <laughs> right? Like, or else, how are you not just out of this game now? Right. So, for example, Mikel Diaz is a Simic Food deck. I, I don't know Mikel, but... Uh, his, his version has, you know, no main deck disdainful strokes. Right. Uh, and instead has, you know, four arboreal grazers in addition to whatever random assortment of two mana accelerators everybody seems to be playing. And what, you, what was your theory about why there's so many, like, two of this and two of this and one of this? Legion's um, end. Yeah. Uh, so, like, if I have to ask myself, why is Reed... So willing to break up his choices when he is a very much a fan of find the best card and play the best card. Like he's a very disciplined player. If he's splitting up his choices, it's because there's a reason. So either it means when I drop both of these things, there are some games and matchups where it's clear which of these two things I want. Or there's some matchups where I want to sideboard one out but not the other because I know exactly how many slots I have. Or I want to play some number of pixies, but the mana doesn't quite support it. I can see all of these arguments, but I think what's really going on is. Legion's End is a card a lot of people are using because it cleans out a zombie horde without cleaning out your own zombie horde. Right. And so you expect to face a bunch of Legion's Ends, and I certainly have on the latter. Uh, so you do not want them to get your mana creatures in multiples. And so you spread out. Like, it's one reason why I think Grove Chamber Guardian is basically just not a playable card right now. Right? It's in one deck, I believe. Right. In this list. And I was testing it because I was trying to make the Great Henge happen as recently as yesterday. But it's such a, a kick to play four copies and then fetch additional copies where Legion's End at any time just wipes out the entire army. Right. Right. Including the one in your hand. Right. Right. And there's times where you, like, you, play, the, you, you play the Gross Chamber Guardian. You have a sec you've drawn a second one sort of quote unquote unfortunately. You're like, well, if they kill this one, I can still play the next one, get a little card advantage. And you, then they... you, you expose it on purpose. Yeah. And to be excited <laughs> about wiping it out. And then they legions end it. You're like, oh, well, that was even worse than anything I could have. Or even worse, it. they don't. And then you evolve. And then, then you adapt. And then they legions end it anyway. <clears throat> and it's such a disaster. Yeah, but you, you see these lists that have, you know, like one voracious Hydra or whatever in their list, one wicked wolf. Right. And those are, you know, Voracious Hydra in particular is a two... I mean, Wicked Wolf isn't... It's just, he just wants one Wicked Wolf. Um, that was just... But, like, so Voracious Hydra, you know, it is a two-drop in play. It can be hit by Legion's Ed. Right. So if you don't want them to get the ones in your hand, maybe don't play more than one. Yeah. So, yeah, same thing with Hydroid Crisis, right? Yeah, same thing. Like, for the fourth Hydroid Crisis is not as attractive as you would think it would be because 
you tap out, you draw a bunch of cards, now they just get the Hydra and they get the one on your hand that you just drew and suddenly your whole like Hydra into Hydra plan, which just ends games it has for, for a year, doesn't work anymore. So, sounds glorious. I mean, <laughs> you're pro- I mean, still a good spot to be in reasonably yeah. often, but yeah. you might also just die. Yeah. Like, it's not great. Uh, talk, talk to me about the Golos lists. Like, what, what, what do you see as the defining characteristics of the three camps uh, of, of Golos here? So... The Golos Fire... And maybe it's really just two, two camps. I mean, there's, there's, there's two and a half at least. There's, there's the Golos Fires decks, right? So the Fires decks, the defining point is Fires of Invention, Fae of Wishes as the engine. Right. So this is, for example, like the list Autumn Burchett is playing. Yes. For example. So I'll bring up that one uh, just so we talk about exactly the same list. Yeah. And so you have very little space to work with because you've got the 28 lands and you certainly can't play less than 28. You know, you can play 27 and be wrong. You can play 28 or 29 and be reasonable. Um, you ha- What's the most anyone's playing in the field? There's a 30, I, I think there's a 30, right? Yeah. And I'm not saying that person is wrong. I'm saying <laughs> I'm skeptical of 30 if it's necessary because there's a lot of things you need. But, you know, I, I, I'm not going to go out on a limb and, and call the person completely wrong. But, like, 28, four fires, you know, four fey of wishes, four securitus wraps, four growth spirals... There are very few cards left in this deck already, right? And so, you know, if you look at what Autumn has chosen to do, you now need more mana fixing. That's probably Mike. Right. Could it be? Hello, Mike. Could it Vegas be? Lord. It is! Welcome to the Top 8 Magic Podcast. It's so exciting to have you as a guest on it. Oh, hello. You guys y'all recording, I guess? <laughs> we still we are. are. Yeah. Oh, how long ago? Oh, a little while. Yeah. No big deal. Yeah, just, just hop in and we're talking about Autumn's deck. We're, oh. talking, we're talking about the Mythic Championship 5 deck. So we're talking about... Um, oh, I thought you meant Autumn's modern deck, which no. was like two weeks ago's... It's funny, like two weeks ago's uh, Urza deck was like brand new two weeks ago, but now it's like way too behind. Oh, yeah. Do yeah. you know the difference in these decks? It's a modern deck. Not I don't modern. know the details. I know that modern is moving the same speed as standard. I mean, I mean things are being broken... Systematically, even as we speak. So, do you remember like back in like the naive days when people were like, oh, you could play Urza and then just like do a sword combo and have like infinite life and infinite creatures? That's not nearly good enough anymore. So, <laughs> Autumn's deck is just like this massive ability to generate. Just a paradoxical outcome deck. Yeah, but now they have one where just like, oh, we could just play Embry and Jeskai Ascendancy, which is an infinite loop, where you're just like. That's actually that's actually the deck I thought I saw day one for Urza being spoiled. But Mike, yeah, but that's well, there was no Emery then. Yeah, yeah. Right. So Emery lets you just you just play any of the zeros, put it in your graveyard, and then replay it yeah. over and over again, and, and you have an infinitely sized guy loop through your whole deck, etc. This is not the SCG Modern Review Show. This no. is the Mythic Championship Live Preview Show, Mike. Okay. So we're we're, we're actually talking about the Golos decks. Um, and we we're talking about Golos fires versus the bad Golos decks, and we were just talking about the, the, the bad Golos, bad Golos. Oh. This is and this is the Golos fires list that Autumn Burchett's playing. Yeah. So the initial hype was that these decks were good in the mirror because they were more explosive. Uh, so Siggy's take on this during uh, his podcast was that actually the matchup's close to even because even though it's more explosive, it's less reliable. Like the deck has to play Beanstalk Giants in multiples, which is a very awkward card to be playing given how much everything else costs, but you need to get red sources. So you can actually cast fires reliably. It's a problem. Oh, interesting. Where whereas the the other colors are sort of an afterthought in the regular Golos decks. It's it's much more 
Right, you had you focus on greenest blue to cast your growth spirals on turn well, two. Well, I mean, if you cast your circuitous route, right, like you can get a red, a red, um, you know, double land. You can, but now you're at least half a turn behind where yeah, you would have been. Yeah, but this deck wants to play a fires and then play the circuitous route for free, right? That's that like, be, they want that to be their big turn. That would be yeah. their ideal, and then the next turn they go granted, Whatever. granted for the big card, and then they're yeah. like, you know, casualties of war or whatever it is that's appropriate. Yeah, so yeah, <laughs> it's, it's fancy. It's yeah. fancier. But also the sec but the, on the other hand, the sec has less garbage, right? It doesn't have like arboreal grazer type stuff, which is kind of bad in the mirror. It's great against like monarch. I don't think it's bad in the mirror. I think it's a climb walk, right? If if I get to play like if I if I have a growth spiral, I get a turn faster for securities routes or fires, and so I'm a turn ahead of you. And same thing with arboreal grazer. Like I will give up a card. So to play a land. The reliability on the red source in like the first call it three to five turns of the game. How much does that matter matter versus the fact that these decks are both... I mean, you could just stand off and accumulate a ton of material, and unless somebody has a breakthrough card, right? Like, isn't it your zombies against my zombies and nobody's busting through? There's a lot going on. Both players are trying to assemble as many fields as possible, as many lands as possible, get as much velocity as possible. The actual killing people part, I think, is somewhat later, but I haven't... Yeah, you see what I'm saying? But the red, it's like, it's, it's not that it's not an issue. Yeah. It's just, it's not... It's not the, that's not the thing. When it point. works, it's more powerful and it definitely has the edge. The problem being, the games where it doesn't quite work, you just fall very far behind. I mean, the thing with this deck is, I guess, you know, you get to, you have that wish engine. And uh, you, you get to do agent of treachery stuff. And like you said, casualties of war and planar cleansing and, and all this fun stuff as, as is kind of fit. We, we were also talking about... The sec is cute because there's an agent in the main deck so you can like grant it for a shared summons and you kind of like yeah, main deck to get the agent. There's also just no sideboard because yeah. the sideboard's all these tutor targets and so you're facing a deck that only cares about the mirror because they knew there's going to be a ton of mirrors and you're just playing your main deck afterboard. Yeah, that, that, is, a, that is an issue. The <laughs> ability... Like, like if you... How many just... There's only like one time wipe and three deafening clear. I mean, deafening clear isn't even that bad, right? Like sweeping people's two twos is a thing you might want to do if you're falling behind. And that's a good catch up card. It, it's not the worst card to have in your deck. There's certainly a certain aspect of there are situations in which the card you need absolutely is a board sweeper. Yeah. Whenever you're facing Golos, but there's also a situation of like by the time you actually need board sweepers, the chance to win the game may have passed you by already. But you're saying you could have won the game already, right? Like even if the even if the 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 W hasn't been you know written down yeah. on the piece of paper yet, right. you, you've got the ESPN check. Is your image bar has yeah, like don't, don't draw an extra card. <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't be. Might, be yeah. might not be for three turns, but this one's in hand. That's right. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it's right to take some definite inquirians out of the deck. I wouldn't be surprised if there's no good way to do. That. I think there's a lot of cards in this board that. Could presumably be moved to the main deck because they're not vital as to, as targets for the wish, like but they're fine to draw. What what decks have y'all talked about other than we we, we literally just got up to the Golos decks. We, we talked we, about the food. We talked about the food. Simic so food. Did you guys talk about the uh, like Reed and Kai and yeah, Simic and food. Hats? Yeah. I, I feel yeah. like the calling them food decks is this subtle. Uh, propaganda on Wizards part of like don't realize Oko is the broken card don't realize Oko is the broken card don't realize Oko is the broken card I was calling that deck um, <laughs> Simic Rares and Mythic Rares like that's isn't that what it I, I tried to craft after I talked to you so I tried to craft it 
I'm like way too many rares behind it. Crap that deck right now. I'd tell you about my new build, but you're not going to like it. Is it even more? <laughs> so, uh, because that's not even a legitimate food deck, right? Like, that deck doesn't have, like, feasting troll. I think that we're going to get to a point where there's, like, people are going to be playing feasting troll kings, and that's going to really be a food I, deck. I feel like you mean because we don't have enough elks? Yeah. It's nice of you to play a six-man elk. I mean, he's... <laughs> you guys come with free food. There's not only... <laughs> Oko matchups, right? Feasting Troll King is outstanding in, in other <laughs> You matchups. also might face Golos where he doesn't matter. He's, he's, he's a good man. <laughs> so let me ask you one more question about Autumn's deck. So a lot of the Golos decks obviously have four Golos. Uh, Autumn's deck, three Golos, which I assumed would mean fourth Golos in the board. You can't. So you, so you, but you can't. You, you can't tutor for that. Oh, you can't even tutor for it, right. It's a creature. Right. Doesn't feel like a creature, but it is. Um, but like three Golos, is that? Does that seem like all the cards like... are good? Just so it's fighting for the five slot with Kenrith. Right. And when you're playing the cards for free, being able to just immediately activate Kenrith to say reanimate a creature from someone's from someone's graveyard is pretty neat. You know, so is giving your entire zombie board haste. Oh, I mean, don't forget like. No matter how many zombies, you are even incumbent zombies. If you can go like Kenrith, Lowland Giant with mana open in the same turn, you pretty much win the game. That's the. That's another cool thing. That's to do. the he thing. Has trample so, all of a sudden. Yeah, the he automatically trample is like eighteen power, right? You you got to put a lot of. I survived it, but it's ugly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other zombies might get through. Yeah, I, I've, won like that's... Of, I've won a Doom Fortress. I've won a Doom Foretold game where they did that to me, and I hadn't seen it coming because I was still learning the matchup and yeah. people were still learning how to play, and it was like, oh, yeah. That's... I thought I would save at twenty six. I should that's, be more careful. That's the good play. Because he has trample. Yeah. He's a, he's a good man. It's a, it's a very, very strong... There's a lot of very strong plays. And I think the attitude was this deck is so explosive that, you know, I just can't afford to have the fourth copy here. Just, they need other things more. Again, the space is really tight when you play four fires in convention. It's yeah. Let me ask you, because I'm sorry I missed that part of the podcast. You guys looked at, like, Hat and Reed and, uh, and Kai's Simic deck. It's very similar to Matt Nass's Simic deck from the Open two weeks ago, but basically swaps out Brazen Borrower for, uh, for the Stroke. Um, what, do you, what do you think about that? So I was thinking about that a lot in terms of, like, that's the only kind of... This is something other than a tap-out threat that I play on my own turn, right? Almost every other card is a tap-out threat. I think they understand that Golos is everywhere, and this is the best card they have against Golos, and they're going to play it. Brazen Borrower doesn't seem like what these decks want to be. I mean, I thought Brazen Bar was a real radical underperformer when I was playing it in Simic Flash also. As I was saying, like, I've been decidedly unimpressed by it. Um, the only deck I've seen that seems to make any good mileage out of it is the Blue-Red Flash deck. Yeah, okay. Which we won't be talking about. Because it's, <laughs> it's not, not on here. The, I mean, the entire Mythic Championship 5 squad is like Golos, Golos, Fires... Blue green food and there's like what like one red green deck or something. It's like so I can I can actually you, I yeah. can actually break down the whole field. For okay. You. So it's 29 Golos decks, including we were talking about Greg Orange. Greg Orange playing Golos is like Shaheen Sarani playing Golos. Do you know what I mean? It's like he just gave up. Yeah. So like 29 people playing it, uh, 11 people playing Simic food, including everybody who's ever like walked through John Finkel's living room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the Hall of Fame Platinum guys are yeah. all are all on that. It looks same seventy five. Three Bant foods. That's just a Simic food with detention guy. Yeah, mostly, mostly. Yeah. yeah, that's a that's a weird. I think we should talk about it. that's like a weird splash. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, five Bant ramp. 
What, what the hell's that? <laughs> it's the, like the, just it's, the other two decks you were talking about. It's an awkward name, is what it is. Yeah, but it's a it's a it's a big mana. Um, oh, it's the deck with no payoff. It's, yeah, it has no. <laughs> I was looking at the deck. I was like, this deck just doesn't have the payoff. It's just like kind of like a Nissa. Um, Hydroid Crisis. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll, you know what? Maybe I'll steal your field of the dead, and I'll make a lot. Nissa of who gently breezes the world around. A <laughs> yeah, but it's, but <laughs> the banned food deck has like a better Nissa deck, right? I mean, as far as I could tell. Yeah. Um. So four Gruel Aggro decks. Four. Four Gruel Aggro. Four with Gruel. Three Selesnya Adventure decks. Uh oh. Um, They're gonna sneak up on you. Six Golgari Adventure decks. Yeah. Which seems like I think the better version of the two, but it's, it's more resilient. Yeah. The white versions are more explosive. Uh, one. Mean, that's each. A, like a real like ex- asterisk next to the word explosive, though. I mean, this, that has different meaning in this format. I don't mean the explosion of your head when you lose. <laughs> <laughs> Like, come on. Although I think that's more common there as well. I mean, like, <laughs> I, I, I've yet to lose to somebody being like, turn one Goldilocks. Like, like, oh, wow, Goldilocks. One Jug Midrange. Play. Which is Caleb Durwood's deck, which had some things going for it, but it does everything on its turn. Just had that to be her deck Brian. seems like the. the, the Just had I to be to call yeah. a deck at a Mythic Championship egregiously misspelled. I mean, when you when you go do the when you go do the you remember how you used to put the deck on the board and you talk to somebody and you're all enthusiastic. You're like, Tell me what you just have it be here, Brian. <laughs> put in the work. But that's what it looks like to me. We'll get to it later. That's just guy like fires me. one copy. That's, that's, that's a, a plausible. That's deck. a deck. It's a yeah. plausible deck. It's very powerful. Mono red cavalcade as one copy and has a buy and has a buy into day two. Ooh, it's Li Shi Tian. Right. Well, how come Lee, Lee has a buy? Because he won his split. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> we'll save that for the OP Issues podcast. Uh, and then one Racto Sacrifice deck, which is kind of like a Judith deck. Or... Oh, it's cool. It's yeah, cool. it's super cool. And then three Mardu Knights decks. Yeah. Which... They're ambitious. Includes one player who has a buy in today, too, in Ben Stark. Yeah. There's, there's, there's one. Ephro's on that deck too, right? It's Ephro and Stark have one build, and then Yuki Hero. Ten Yuki Hero has, has the other one. And I think there's Yuki, different decks. And I think Yuki Hero is right. When we'll you see, say right, think, okay. When you say right, what do you mean by right? I mean, I think his build is just better. So I, I can tell you, I, I think this is like a, a laydown because Aaron Barish is on Golos this tournament, right? So I, I, I well, of the Knights deck, I think it's well. So I, I told Patrick Chapin I was like depressed because Aaron Barish won the first uh, standard classic with green white Selesnya adventure, and Aaron Barish is just like the most mono red player I've ever seen in my life. And I mean, Aaron's on goalless on this one. That's like that's, <laughs> so that's like Shaheen Shivani on. That's the opposite side like, of the Greg R. But him playing mono, he playing white green is not that big a problem, right? That's just like okay. I don't know. Patrick's like, oh, this is a really good way to build your mono red deck. Yeah. Like you're just like <laughs> you're still beat down, but you've taken out all the terrible mountains. <laughs> it's remarkably facey. And yeah, like, it's really facey. Yeah, you're like you're you're replacing them with like love struck beasts. That's a five five for three. Get in there, you know. One one for one, and occasionally cast a five five. Let's be clear. Yeah. So. <laughs> so yeah, Ken Yuki Heroes Mardu Knight stack is like twenty eight creatures, four each of Fervent Champion, Acclaimed Contender, Rimrock Knight, Blacklands Paragon, Inspiring Veteran, Knight of the Ebon Legion, and then one non knight. 
rotting regisaur. <laughs> like, by the way, all my knights, they're on this one big dinosaur and they're coming in. Yeah, this sect doesn't And they're happen. handing him armor. Yeah, oh yeah, and by the sword. way, by the way, he's also, <laughs> that dinosaur's also got a steel claw lance and an ember cleave. So he doesn't have the lance for There's no interaction in this deck, right? It's just sideways. The interaction dudes. is you interact with Ember Cleave with your face. Yeah. <laughs> like is, I said, this is ambitious. Well, I mean, you also can do things like, you know, you can, you know, use the Black Lines Paladin to, like, mix it up with Oh, no, no. I know how that works. That's Simeon Grunts, 2019. <laughs> that's, like, that's like the $16,000 Lightning Helix Simeon Grunts combination. But, like, if your opponents are all playing with, uh, you know, Deafening Clarion and Rum Cloak Giant. I feel like you don't have a you don't have a Plan B. Your your Haster is a one one. Those sound very sorcery speed. I mean, you <laughs> so to be clear. I mean, look. You're first of all, Black Lance Paladin is flashy, so that's three power. You're okay. <laughs> he loses the Death Touch once he's entering the red zone. Yeah, but if you're facing a Raft deck, it doesn't matter. I mean, I don't know. I would be like a little upset if that guy was trading with like a Fave Wishes. You got on equipment D. to put on your guys. <laughs> Yeah. Right, like so, you can you know you can do you got uh, Rimrock Knight to boost them up, especially if you're double so, striking. Just to be fair, I think Rimrock Knight is radically like that's an underrated. That's a very good match. Not card. having the other night, I, I was ha- very the other night, like not having Rimrock Knight, I think is just a, a clear mistake. It's like shocking how relevant that card is. It like it's relatively fast. It can get ups from uh, Javier Dominguez, and just like the combat trick element when you some of your guys have first strike is actually pretty. This is like the card meaningful. that makes like. It's enabling the people on Arena who don't want to splurge for actual cards <laughs> to just play Mono Red endlessly against you and win 44% okay. of their games forever. So instead to, of... So to, to be clear, I did the math yesterday. Yeah. So I played for two hours to get to my 15 wins, <laughs> and my net result was, I think, at the end of the session, up two ticks on uh, on gold. Right? High so, five! So... <laughs> so, <laughs> I, so I tried to... I'm like, I was like, what, I need to win 45 badges? No problem, right? So... Two hours in, I'm up. I was I was gold two at the start of the session. I was slightly better gold two at the end of this. So a week's work <laughs> if it doesn't get any harder. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I was I, I crafted some decks. I was just like we're 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 a few. Uh, it's not the mythics aren't even the problem. Yeah, you the might, decks I played historically don't play any mythics. You might need to <laughs> do a little rarest. bit of drafting, Mike. I need to do a little drafting. I mean, the thing is, I would be sad if I just, like, invested in, like, the Simic deck, which is all Mythic Rare, and then I just won less. <laughs> <laughs> this is an actual real problem this with is, Arena. This could happen for me, you know? Um, those cards will not go to waste over the next year. Yeah, that's, fair. that's fair. I mean, the fact that I crafted for Javier Dominguez, that was painful. Like, clicking that, are you sure? You even asked me. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. And the, the one worry to not have... getting banned. <laughs> <laughs> to be clear, I don't know if Oko survives. Yeah, Oko, Oko could be banned on Monday. All right. Oh, once upon a time, might not last. Really? That's that. That's the. They're that's not the dark banning. Horse. So here's the thing. I was vehement with Brian. First of all, I ended up being right. They banned all the cards I said out there. Was, was, I was that, that they should ban right out of the out of the modern set. Yeah. But they took forever to ban the cards that were in the that were in the in print set. They've added an extra band aid. <laughs> there are 169 copies of Once Upon a Time with 68 deck lists. That's hot. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's first of all. It's a very good card. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you. I don't know if you noticed this one, but it's like an impulse, but for zero. Did you notice my comments on the mailing list? Like the minute it got spoiled, I was already over it. I was already over announcing it. 
<laughs> and by the way, they don't even have the game loss when you play it at the wrong time on Arena, which they really need to implement. <laughs> like, there should be a new rule. If you cast Once Upon a Time at the wrong time at the start of the game, you lose the game if your opponent points it out. Like, if you cast it on their turn before you untap and draw your card, you should just lose. If you play your land before playing it on turn one, you should just lose. There should be rules. It's a good thing I don't have these cards yet. I would have already had <laughs> losses. I need to write an article explaining this because clearly people, even at Diamond, don't understand this. Like this a one's a design. Hall of Famer. <laughs> the number one deck designer of all time. So, so I talked. I actually talked to another Hall of Famer. I, I actually reached out to Eric Froelich to ask about the Mardu Knights deck. So we, we just talked a little bit about Can You Hero's version. Um, you know, Can You Hero not down on the Weaselback tech. Uh, Weaselback red cap in... Uh, well, that's the one that pumps? Yeah. <laughs> Read that card to me. Read you that that card didn't have any I did not power. notice this one. Weaselback... <laughs> Weaselback red cap R. 1-1. One, one. It's a common. 1-R. Weaselback red cap gets plus 2, plus 0 until end of turn. It's a Goblin Knight. That's what I thought. This I, isn't I, even the only red cap in the field. There's also a red cap melee in the sideboard of Javier Dominguez's deck. Um, <laughs> if you thought this was janky, right? Like, <laughs> but but I, I, I talked to uh, Eric. And Eric, Eric, they are playing this deck because they expect Golos. They, they're playing it unironically. Unironically, they expect Simic, and they think that this deck... Beats up, beats those decks, and and his quote is, "Embercleave is a completely messed up magic card, so finding a way to maximize its effectiveness made sense." This is what he said. He said, "This card, Embercleave, is stupid, and you will know that this card is stupid after the Mythic Championship." It's like the fifth, at most, stupidest card in the set, though, right? Yeah, like there are so many stupid cards in the set. If you, I think if you're playing a linear aggro deck that Ember, Ember I mean, that, it's kind of obvious, right? But, like, it, it really compounds with stuff like Javier Dominguez and Rimrock Knight. Like, the, the, you know, those guys are all... Yeah. You're making a big cleave carrier. I, I, I appreciate what an Ember Cleave can do. I'm just saying, in a set with cards like Oko and Questing Beast and Once Upon a Time and Gilded Goose, and I'm sorry that this is the start of every deck list now that we're starting Field of the Dead. I love how you have Gilded Goose, and not just a... That's a Gilded Goose is a good card. Everyone's on board with that. Top five stupidest cards in Throne of Eldraine. Number one, Oko. Number two, Once Upon a Time. Number three, The Goose. The Birds of Paradise that one. plays a long game? Yes! <laughs> the second one gets you the third one that lets you play the first one on turn two. <laughs> Have you played Gilded Goose into Oko into Wicked Wolf Kill Your Guy with Industry? So, um, I gotta tell you, some years ago, I was sitting around with some other pretty good Magic players. One of them had won a Pro Tour. We were, like, drafting, all right, we're, we're going to make a deck-building team. And, you know, not surprisingly, you were on somebody's deck-building team. You're on this team with, like, Guillaume Wafotapa, and there's a couple other players, and I looked at her and I was like, dude, you don't have, like, a red mage. She's like, I have so many good decks. And I'm like, if your format doesn't happen to have Simic as the best deck in the format, <laughs> you might be a little heavy in one direction. We'll just play Esper whenever we get on. like, you got a lot of Simic on the squad, buddy. Like, he's like, they built other decks. I'm like, I agree. Yeah, because when you're like, hey, it's like, oh, top, top Grand Prix, top eights of Zdimashwitz. The Goblin deck that he did that one time, that goes straight to everybody's memory. I remembered. Thank you. I remembered. Man. City of Brass Goblins deck. 
Wait, true, true. He lost in the round of eight. That is not one of his impressive performances. Oh, but you want some trade wind rider action? Oh, I'm going to lift my own wall of blossoms. <sighs> Nobody loves Birds of Paradise more than Zvi Mashiewicz. That might be true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Zvi, what's the most mana you've played? We, we did a deck tech once where you had, what, like... 33 well, he, mana sources? He, he invented... 30... He, he didn't put the conscription, but he invented the mythic... Half of mythic conscription? Yeah. That deck was like... 27 plus 16, I think? Oh, that was what? It was 43. I'm sorry. 27 yeah. land, 16 mana accelerators? Yeah. 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 That was... Like, Birds, Hells, yeah. Knights, and Covrids. I was like, in my head, I'm like, 33 Explore? doesn't sound like a lot. What? Explore? No. Raptor had Explore. <laughs> so, I'm not saying you... Oh, wait. Hierarch. Oh, yeah. It's right there. Oh, Okay. Yeah. Hierarchs and yeah, yeah, so Raptor must. Have, I mean, Raptor borrowed the engines. Yeah, so, yeah. but he he won up to you the by adding for everyone. by by adding explore. <laughs> I'm not saying you can't get more. I'm saying I'm, I'm just saying nobody loves Birds of Paradise more so, than I know you guys watching. We're talking about Mardu right now, the opposite of Simic. Mardu is the literally the opposite. Of yes. Literally the opposite of Simic. So um, he said it's a. But Eric said it's a high uh, variant strategy. So. But they're 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 taking their big swing here. I mean, I think when people say high variance, they mean like it looks particularly good or bad. <laughs> I don't think high variance strategies exist in the same way they think they do. Like it's just sort of mathematical. Right. I think fallacy. mono red is like a high variance strategy. Like I either win or I don't, and when I don't, it looks really terrible. But see, <laughs> like, that it looks last, very that bad. Last when clause I is the important part, right? It looks really terrible. I mean, when I win, it doesn't look particularly good. Usually, I'm like crossing my fingers, and I'm like. I need to run a runner to uh, skewer the critics off of a uh, light up the stage that I rip this turn. On the plus side, if you lose <laughs> like, two mono red, it also feels like completely <laughs> stupid. <bullshit. laughs> Luckily, MT, MTG Arena doesn't have the chat like MTGO did. So people are just, they just give me the good game. I know they didn't think it was a good I game. I missed the chat. <laughs> and I have never given a mono red player a good game. Oh, I get the good game every night. Good game. <laughs> Uh, one card I want to really talk about though in this Ben Starkey for a list that is not in the Ken Yuki Hero list. This is the card I would expect more than the Weasel. More than the Weasel. I mean, Weasel is also a card you would be like, oh yeah, of course Ken Yuki Hero is playing a red cap Weasel. You know, he plays like all sorts of. He plays Bone Picker Witch to a top eight. He, you know, Tectonic Rift in the sideboard, two copies. I love this. I effing love this. Why don't you tell people what Tectonic Rift is? Because I would guarantee you 75% of the Canadian audience has no idea what that card is. Do you need me says. to read what Yeah, I don't know what the hell that card is. <laughs> I was like pretending. It's something to do with land, I assume. Tectonic Rift Maybe is... Maybe a hole in the land? Is three and an R. Okay, that's out of my range right already. <laughs> Destroy target <laughs> land. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Creatures without flying can't block this turn. See, this is this, this is, is a format of stone rain and a falter. <laughs> they will take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like I don't know. You could just have like a lot of dudes, and then you kill their zombie making land, and you know, get I mean, in for three. That's what I'm assuming it does. <laughs> Here comes three. Even know you are dead. <laughs> yeah, that's that's hot. Maybe that should be played in all of the uh, the Golos decks. That's some sweet tech. <laughs> You can also get so. I mean, one of the things that people are thinking one about on the sideboard of the Fade X no. is how to break the Golos mirror. I've like, seen it, but one thing yeah. people are oh, saying. Really? I mean, Brian Gottlieb proposed it. What, I mean, I don't think that's as good as the Black Enchantment, where like you drain. Yeah, you can just do casualties yeah, of war. Like that seems way better. Yeah. Um, but the uh, 
the 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 blue and four guy that gives all zombie tokens flying. That one seems all right. Oh, sure. The, yeah. the guy you can't that. whisper a creature, man. Yeah. You just run him. <laughs> he's, he's at the five. Like, whatever. Fair, all the reasons that was crazily stupid, that was not very high. I was just it's saying. not that stupid. You're like, oh, wow. Everybody's going to have 100 zombies? Mine will hit? <laughs> you mean it costs the same as like Kenrith the Return King? Yeah, they're different. <laughs> there's, there's two Kenriths. You know, they're different. You could tutor one or the other. Mm-hmm. I got so, Once Upon a Time. Move on? I got so Shared what, Summons. What, what are you guys' predictions for this Marty Knight stack? It's, it's, it's not in my range. I understand, but... I'm a pretty big fan of the Yuka Heroes version. I'm less of a fan of the Frog Stark so version. Why are you a fan of the Yuka Hero version? So, I feel like it brings a lot of very concentrated power to the table. It doesn't play the bad card. Like, Rimrock Knight is where we want to be. Main deck right, Registrar, I think, is just, like, good against everyone with the adventure decks in the entire field. And you can talk about it out where it's bad. But like, like Embercleave goes on that card so much better. They have the fourth Embercleave, and I think Embercleave is the most important card in the strategy. And they have something that actually kills you on the spot if they put Embercleave on it reliably, whereas the Stark version, I'm worried that like if Eric, if Eric gets his Embercleave down, it might go on something with one or two power very often. And then like they just don't kill you. All right. You know. So I just I, I feel like it's a much more solidly constructed list. Like this is where I'd want to be. And it yeah. just sort of feels right. Embercleave on the... I mean, they have the Riding Regisaur as well, but it's in their sideboard. And they, they have three have, in their And board, they only have three. Yeah. But... I mean, Regisaur is one of these new hotness cards that, like, I... I built the deck with it last night. Last like afternoon. It? it wasn't... The deck wasn't good enough that, like, sort of... It was very much a, I'm doing this one thing and let's hope for the best. I, but, I, like, it was an interesting try. I mean, it was a deck that was trying to play turn three Great Henge... After a turn, turn three, two. great hedge. <laughs> of course. <laughs> oh well, you're really slow these days, right? Three. Okay. Well, this format's fast, man. You gotta, you gotta get this program. Turn two, Roddy. We just. Oh no, no, I get it. I, I get uh, it. I did it a bunch of times. I got concessions on turn three. It was great. <laughs> well, I got nights. Good game is good game is in real. When they say nights, I mean hedge kind of makes up for the Regisaur. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know where I like the Regisaur? If you play Robber of the Rich. So Robert the Rich is a high variability card, right? Like, if you're going second, for example, <laughs> Robert the Rich is just, like, not that good. But he's small again. And right? like, oh, I'm sorry. Did, yeah, you, so, just, did you just win? But Regisaur, you're just like, all right, in with Robert the Rich. Oh, you're not going to do that to me again, buddy. And then they're like, Regisaur, they're like, ugh. Oh, no, no, you Robert the Rich attack them, you pull their Regisaur, and you play Regisaur, and oh, your hand's always small. This is now a race <laughs> to the bottom. But one of us was born here. But if it's a tie... <laughs> Defense wins. <laughs> I don't. I don't know, man. Who who even knows how to play against those cards? I wouldn't know how to play against Regisaur and Robber of the Rich. Like, that's, not, that's not in the data set. Well, if you're going to the Mythic Championship, you have a whole week to practice. The, so. the AI doesn't have time to knock against those uh, those data points. So let, let's talk about the. We're talking about badass and the Mardu. I want to talk about the players with buys, who who are going into. Uh, Day two, automatically. So we see Li Shi Tian playing Mono Red Cavalcade. You want to pull that deck up? Yeah, yeah. That that deck's yeah. So um, I thought about crafting that deck, but it is for Chandra. So <laughs> that was like I mean, how? No, he doesn't. He doesn't? Nope. No. So yeah, this is three Tibalt. 
Oh. Four no Chandra? Four Chandra. Oh, no, no, I own that card already. I needed it for my last season. <laughs> yeah. For each of all of these creatures Scorch Spitter, Steamkin, Fervent Champion, Bone Crusher Giant, Tin Street Dodger, Torbran, the Thane of Redfell, and Rimrock Knight. Four light up the stage. We know you all know. Yeah, I do. For Cavalcade of Calamity. Also uncommon. You're fine. Yeah. yeah that's all right. That's all right. Uh, and then... Uh, 21 lands. And 21 He's got lands. a lot of castles. And he's got three... three <laughs> they don't castle, matter. Three castle <laughs> emberth. Yeah. I mean, if you've got... I, I own one. I own one. You're fine. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I have a physical one I can loan you. Um, what, what do you guys think of... Wait, so there's like, this sex doesn't have like shocks and skewers? Or? <laughs> no. <laughs> so you yeah, are just... on the board. All you're just all in on like it just also, but it also doesn't have the ginger guy right. Some people play ginger, ginger. brute. Yeah, that guy. Oh, wait, it also doesn't have Chandra Spitfire. Ginger brute's not red. Yeah, it does not have Chandra Spitfire. No. Oh man, I thought Chandra Spitfire is one of the. I do think cards. that Spitfire is pretty sweet in these situations, but I can see the argument for that's just a win more. Well, is it really a win more? The thing is, like Spitfire is hard to kill. Right, like uh, on a relative basis, right? People don't have a lot of things that just kill a three toughness creature. Like, right. how many terrors does the does the average Golos deck play? Zero, right? You just get like a trigger and like a trigger and one shock off of this. It's just gonna kill half. But there's no shocks in the deck, right? So yeah, I know. It's crazy. But, but you have the cavalcade of cal calamity. Yeah, yeah, sure. But the theory, if you're cavalcading against those decks, you're winning anyways. Yeah. No, but you win real fast with the Spitfire. Okay, so you right? win slightly slower. <laughs> You're the one who's telling me to turn four great heads is too slow. <laughs> but specifically for against Golos, the point being that like Golos can't actually stop me from winning the game because like their zombies aren't in time to kill you and you can still like... One of the things that I noticed is if you pressure the Golos life total in ways that a horde of zombies don't interact with, yeah. then you have the several turn window where the zombies can't actually kill you, especially if you have a few natural blockers anyway. Sure. And you're still pressuring their life total, and they can't really do much about it because they have like hydroid crisis to gain life, and that's it. So, yeah, like the Scorch Spitter is actually a shockingly effective card, even when it gets gobbled, because it just it gets in, it gets a damage. In. It gets in for two, even like, calamity. Yeah. Like it's not bad, and then you ride up the stage, and then you go to town. And remember, with Tibalt, you can't. They can't gain life either. So. And with Torben, you got three. Torben is that guy, and then trades <laughs> you for zombie. <laughs> <laughs> no, I so basically. I, I, I like what he's thinking here. Uh, if you think that Golos is just the enemy, um, I've played a bunch of food-style decks against this type of thing. Are, is and food great against this deck? It's pretty good. Like, I don't want to... This way, you really don't want to be mono-red in general with a bunch of 1-1s against the deck that's like slightly bigger than you and has acceleration. Well, here's the thing. is This deck doesn't have Cavalcade of Calamity in play. It's just a stack of unplayable garbage. No, it has poor. It has the if the knight. It has if it has the throne, the throne of red fell. It also has a stack of semi playables, right? Yeah, like, I mean, but that's still, that's the slow two, draw, and it's not even that good. Like your guys are just three ones, then, right? Like who who's scared of a three one? You have a London mulligan, it'll all be fine. <laughs> that's your answer, Gaffer. So the thing about this deck doing a mulligan is it doesn't have a lot of lands, and it has no way to recoup, right? No, like, it doesn't do that. Like, so you're like, all right, I got my key card, but if my opening hand doesn't get you, it's not going to get yeah. much better. Also, if you look at the sideboard, it's like, <laughs> give me last year's run deck back, please. <laughs> it's, just, it's just literally main deck cards that you... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like untransformed back into the old experimental frenzy deck with some removal spells. But it's actually not an optimized version. <laughs> 
Exactly. I mean, you're still a little short, right? Because you guys are you're still going to play some cards that you're not happy about. Like, these creatures are going to be like, kidding, not quite this doesn't, get, this doesn't get anywhere near last year's red deck after sideboarding. Like, the whole point of some of those cards is that you were going off with uh, Runaway Steamkin. You have Runaway Steamkin. He's your one. Oh, okay. Yeah, he does have it in the main. All right. I missed that one amongst the, the lack of chance. There are some people who cut it, cut it for a while, but like I always thought that was like pretty crazy. Yeah, sometimes it triggers. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> it doesn't. It's good and it's good. I love trading for that card, by the way. Like People who think they don't have to attack Oko, and then you trade for their Steamkin. Yeah. Yeah. It's like their Here, best. have a food. I want your Steamkin. That's like their best card. Right. But now, now they can't go off, and you have a blocker. Yeah. For free. And, oh, and it's, it's humiliating for them. Oh, yeah. The thing that's really humiliating <laughs> is if the Steamkin has any number of counters on it other than three. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Killing, taking, taking the Thrain of Red Fell was also kind of nice. Yeah, but, but if, like, you, yeah. If, you take, if you take the Steamkin with, like, two counters or one counter, first of all, a two-counter, a one-counter Steamkin already beats all their other squad. Taking the three three is so amazing. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. And then, but at two counters, they can't take the counters off. <laughs> like, right, right. And he's like, here, have some food. Like, like oh, boy. <laughs> You need this some food, right? This is causing <laughs> me to re, so, so re-examine my interest in Magic the Gathering. Or in a Royal Grazer sometimes. Like, oh, take that's that. the worst. Yeah. <laughs> so ranking the, the Day 2 buy decks. So we have the Martyr Knights deck from Ben Star. We have the Mono Red Cavalcade deck here from Lee Sheetian. Which Which one do you like more so far going into this field? I think I'd rather the Knights deck. I think that the newer cards are stupider, for want of better terms, than the older cards. And... The nice deck just feels more explosive, more powerful. Like it has more late game, certainly. Like it plays, it plays more magic. But you know, Wishitian knows what he wants. Uh, I actually, I'd go with the other. Uh, I like the red deck more than the yeah. knight's deck. The, I mean, just all kidding aside, um, I think that the knight's deck has a lot of fault points that the red deck doesn't have, and the red deck. Red deck's definitely more reliable. That's like that's the main thing, right? right. Like, I mean, red deck is highly liable to play a game of competitive magic, win or lose. The knight's deck just won't play you, some games. This is something that an experience that I found pretty common in this standard format. I am not going to look at a handful of three lands and four spells and ever mulligan with the red deck, where with any three color deck. There's some opportunity right. to be like, that's a, got landed spells. I'm not going to miss your right now. Okay, first of all, that's a, that's a reasonable algorithm that I largely use on Arena, and you can keep four pretty bad spells. <laughs> right? Like, like Rimrock, no. right? Runaway Steamkin, like Torben Torben, isn't beating anyone. Right? Like, <laughs> like, all right. Uh, I guess I have to keep this. <laughs> no, you really don't. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm commenting more on the mana than the four cards. Let's yeah. assume four playable cards here. I, I mulligan a lot right now, as Brian is off sometimes yeah. gasped. Like, you're throwing away what? It's like, but your mana works and you've got a great three drop. For me. No, no, no. It's not fast enough. And, like, it's right. It's 100% are, right. Are you playing Arboreal Grazer in your non Golos type decks and just regular? You know, mid-range decks, you do like Grazer. I, I, I am liking Grazer a lot more now, yes. Yeah, I, I was thinking just like going eight, just starting with like four Grazer, four, um, four Goose, four other, like some sort of Druid, just to start in, in decks and then just play a kind of more powerful threats that are, that are singularly more resilient rather than playing like a, you know, wide variety of I have something, or something. Look, I, I got some stuff to update you on. Yeah. I work on decks, but, you know, again, this is the big championship five preview. 
We should get back to that. So Ramau and Manfield are the other two players yeah. with buys. Carlos Ramau? Carlos Ramau. Is he playing Psychotog? No, <laughs> sadly, he's playing Bengal. I was really hoping he'd find an attack. Like, right. he'd break this mirror. Yeah. I voted for him. Yeah. I voted for him, too. Repeatedly, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Would uh, vote again next year for him if there was uh, next year. If he wins this one, maybe we can retroactively instate him. Maybe. But, uh, so, so how, do, how do you like... You know, going knowing you're into day two, you're past all the nonsense, right? Like you could face you're going into day one of a tournament. There's a lot of players who are not um, as seasoned, high level tournament performers as let's say the MPL, and so there's going to be a lot of very a lot more variance on day one than you might see on day two. You get to go into day two playing a Golo stack. How how do you feel about that? Well, so it's versus more, playing yeah. one of the one of the rogue decks, which well, is it, how our buys yeah, are It's certainly worth noting that with 68 players, including the, and half the field with the MPL, you're already starting on day two of a Pro Tour on day one. Right? This is more like, I'm starting on day two and a half. I actually, right. I yeah. actually love uh, the Stark slash Li Shi Chan Efro philosophy of playing a worse deck. Like, it's... <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not kidding. If you're playing... If everybody in the room is a world-class player, right? You start, start there. Maybe not everybody. But so are right? you if you're... No, no, no. But, everybody, but the thing is, like, my natural skill advantage is going to be less pronounced in the vast majority of matchups. I mean, there's one Kai, one yellow hat in this room, right? There's not, like... There's a lot of really good players. If you're just like, all right, I'm Golos Fires, you're Golos Fires, how much of it really is up to skill? How much of it is really up to deck, uh, deck design? Because I bet our decks... They might not be 75 the same, but I bet we have a lot of the same nuts and bolts. That's a lot more on draw. If you want your... If you want your, especially if the games go real, real long, right, it's, it's a lot on early game draw. If you if you're, want to put yourself in a position where you're minimizing the likelihood that you're just on draw, then you, you, I don't think you can play goalless. That's what I, I think. If you look at Yellow Hat and Kunio and Reed and Kai are clearly four of the best players of all time, let alone in this tournament, and they chose not to play goalless, right? Their deck is less powerful than goalless. It's, it's powerful still, but... I mean, it helps to know what the target is and that you're not that, and you can... But you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. If you have the exact same long game and you're, you're I'm playing against PV every round, like, this is miserable. It's exhausting. I need a way to, <laughs> I need a way to beat PV other than I outplayed him in a 60-turn game, game. Or I happen to have better draws. Like, did you watch yeah. Kai against Brad Nelson when they were playing the exact same yeah, as well. for Hero deck like, over and over and over again? They kept getting paired. It was like... So, yeah, but, but at and least... Just, you, you're just leaning on the guy until he breaks like in rounders, like, <laughs> over turn after turn after turn. <laughs> but, you know, the philosophy, I think, was good, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that the philosophy is the same in this one, where you, it's better to, like, let's say consensus is that Golos or Golos Fires is the strongest deck. It's better, especially if you're, like, not one of the world-class players. If you're just like, I'm in this tournament, but I'm not one of the 16 best players of all time. Just happy to be here, Bob. You shouldn't play Golos. I, I don't think. You're, you're, you're like, you're just not going to win the legitimate games against the world-class players that go 60 turns. I agree. I mean, these are world-class players who will, if anything, be less exhausted because they don't have to play day one, right? So they have certain advantages. I certainly could, if I was going to play Golos as a Carlos Ramal with a buy, I would make sure that I had found the way to sell out for the mirror. Because I'm going to be like, okay, either Golos is the deck that we should play, right? And it's right, and it's just going to dominate. Or... It's not the deck. Someone's, you know, people have found a way to beat it, and those decks are going to be around on day two when I face them. And then you're not going to be so great. 
if things are not so great, and you're not going to face that many Go stacks because people who beat it are uh, there. It doesn't matter what you did. Yeah, there's a. They're going to beat you. That's the bad downside gamble, right? Like, right. If, if Golos is not pronounced on day two, like, if, like, for example, if you're Lee and you're playing against just the Pantheon on day two, and they're just wicked wolfing you on the third <laughs> turn every game, like, I really wish I had some shocks in my red deck. <laughs> Can't really stop them from casting Oko on turn two and then casting Wicked Wolf. To be fair, they might go Arboreal Grave. Uh, they can't go Arboreal Grave. Yeah. 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 It's a little harder for, for Reed and company to do anything ahead of schedule. But also, they only have, on, they have four goods. But sure, on yeah. schedule is fine. Lee doesn't have shock. Right? <laughs> like, yeah. Yes, I understand that. So the issue is that, you know, if you're playing Golos yourself, right, in, as with a buy, I think you plan for the role in which Golos is clearly the right deck, right? You assume that Golos is right. You're going to face a lot of mirrors. You're not going to face anything that's going to like just blow you out of the water because nobody found it. And so you play a deck that's like kind of pre-boarded, kind of ready. And I look at Ramau's deck and I don't see that, right? I see a very stock, very straightforward list that doesn't seem to be particularly uh, mirror conscious. I see one agent of treachery. If you had looked back at Carlos's two thousand and one World Championship winning deck, what what did he have that was mirror conscious that wasn't between his ears? I agree that he figured out something. Now maybe he's figured out how to play this matchup, and there are some things to do. But like nothing in this, I look if he pulls off that trick, great. But I, I mean, would also he's a he's a preternatural level control on combo or control on control player. Like I've watched him just play in top eights on camera and I like I can't believe he made that play. And I'd like ask John. I was like, John, look at this play. He's like, oh yeah, I would make the same play as you. And then Carlos's read was just correct and he's just like, it only works if he's right on the next turn. He's like, but he was right. <laughs> look, I, I have nothing but respect for Carlos Ramal. I voted as I said, I voted for him for Hall of Fame and I think he's a, just a great guy all around. Um, I'm just saying that like I think he could have used his advantage more by Playing a main deck that was more exposed to, you know, people who were selling out to beat Golos that aren't Golos, and selling out himself more to beat Golos, even if he determined to play Golos. That's yeah, what I would be thinking. you still probably, if you're seventy five percent there, you still have a lot of good enough draws, right? I mean, it's not like the other guys can sell out because they have to face day one, right? Right. Um, but like, again, like, I don't think that's how many people think about this. Like, there's so many things to think about. I don't really blame someone for not going that deep into the weeds. They're just happy to have the rest. But you have that special, yeah. I mean, but you have that special. That's a pretty special opportunity to be able to start on day two of the field and and have to play so much less magic than everyone. Else. Cat cauldron combo. <laughs> everyone should have been on cats and cauldrons. Yeah, we, we lost to that yesterday. <laughs> His list is perfectly fine. Um. All right. Let, let's. Did Javier just, Dominguez play Javier Dominguez? Uh, no, Javier Dominguez did not play Javier Dominguez. He played a red-adjacent haste deck, but did not have Javier Dominguez in his red-adjacent no. haste deck. No, Wow, that's balls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, so... But um, his deck is like a red deck with haste. That's the theme, right? Yeah, he's playing Gruul Aggro. That's <laughs> one of the one of the smaller... Javier is only good with other knights. Yeah. Unless you're playing actual dedicated Geronimo Mono Red with, like, tons of one-drops. Like, in which case, it's still, like, much worse. So yeah. let's, let's run through his list. So yeah, so Javier, Javier Dominguez, you know, world champion, playing uh, Gruul Aggro. Yeah, so. yeah, the player is quite good, though. It's a separate issue. Yeah. 
Pelt Collector, Zerta Goblin, Gruel Spellbreaker, Bone Crusher Giant, Skargan Hellkite, only three of those, four Questing Beasts, three Paradise Druid, two Crawl Harpooners, uh, and then four Once Upon a Time, three Collision Colossus, a card I know you love, and then two Ember Cleave. So he's got his like his little bit of like the um, the Death Shadow combo. Right, you know, like Collision Colossus is giving you the bonus, and then Embercleave's giving you the double strike. Like, uh, so I mean, I played you know. a lot of Gruel in the last cycle. Yeah, I, I, I took my Gruel deck and gave it to Brian for a Mythic Championship. Yeah, and I for think one, it, right? Yeah, I think I think it was an excellent choice for that tournament. You know, even though things didn't work out. Uh, so the thing that struck, the thing that jumps out at me with this list is there's no good second one drop. Right, I don't. I can't point to a card that says Xavier should have played this other one drop because the card does not exist. Pell Collector, if you start with it, this deck seems pretty cool, right? right. Like you're going to curve out pretty well. You have a bunch of stuff to do, but you only have the one one drop. And if you don't draw Pell Collector, you're starting the game on turn two, and you're putting a Paradise Druid to three power on the board. And you're the you're the only person who's starting on turn two, right? Like that's. <laughs> That's, That's a sad story. You're hoping that they play it. Maybe they play Tackland on turn one, and they get to start on turn three or four. I mean, maybe five. That's, that's the hope. But yeah, but your fair draw is not. You're you're playing fair, fair, right? And you've got what? Then you've got four Zerta Goblins, two Crow Harpooners, and three Paradise Druids, which is enough. So two if drops. you're if you're on turn two with a Zerta Goblin, no one drop on turn one, are you likely to to riot it up or riot it forward? I always three three in that spot unless I have a swift reason not to. The chance that I'm not going to get it to attack twice is is pretty small. Okay. Um, I mean, what can he? I mean, so the only one drop that he could really easily fit is a card that's in his seventy-five, which is Lovestruck Beast. But that card doesn't seem to really it's not play on, well. On brand. Doesn't play well in this. It's in his board again. I I want to see more four or zero of the Lovestruck Beast. Yeah. You know, like if you're doing this thing, I think having enough one ones in your deck is really important. I feel like a lot of the people who have Lovestruck Beast that the one one is not incidental because it soaks up damage, especially against like. The various red decks who have garbagey one and two casting cost cards, but I think it's mostly there to just be like a five five toughness blocker. I understand right? that, but in a deck like this, like being able to turn your creature sideways is kind of a big deal. Yeah, and also just like the, the sideboard is not like so exactly tightly constrained in this situation that like you should mind having four slots. For I'm this. really surprised that the Domri's ambush on the sideboard instead of the main deck. I think people are main decking that card a lot. Some people main deck it. I, I wouldn't be mad at him necessarily that much, but like again, there's a ton of Golos. You play against Golos, and this card is pretty bad. Gobbles of Golos is pretty good, right? Yeah, the Golos already got the field of the yeah. deck. <laughs> Golos, what do you think care? Go, Golos is... That just frees up the... What am I here to do? What? That just frees them up to cast the second Golos <laughs> that was sitting in their hand, buddy. Which they were going to do anyway, yeah. let's face it. Uh, no, so basically just my concern here is that, you know, I used to be like, okay, I get a Pell Collector or I get a Lanor Elf. So I have two types of great, great starts, right? And now, the Lanor Elf draws are gone... So, because the deck doesn't really play nicely with Arboreal Grazer or Yolidus, right? Because of the other things that it's doing. The Grazer's pretty bad in this deck. I'm, I'm saying it doesn't play well with Goose, Goose doesn't seem that bad. Like, I think Paradise Druid is the better play, like, given what you're doing. Like, you, just, you don't have the food engine at all. Like, the two power matters. Like, the Goose only taps once, and then you don't have a tough time to get the mana back. I think you just can't play Goose. So, again, you only have the one one drop. It is awesome. But, like, you're trying to trigger Embercleave, which requires a critical mass of attackers. Like, I, that's what I was going to say. This, this deck doesn't seem like it is as easy to fire off a, a, a turn three, turn four 
Embercleave as, yeah. as some of the other decks. This deck feels like it's just doing a poor imitation of a food deck. Way or too a poor often. imitation of a Mardu Knights deck. Oh, sure. Well, here's the thing. I think this deck is probably less extreme in its performance than a Mardu Knights deck, right? I, well, this, this I, I think I would tend to agree with you. I think it's like a sort of less powerful food deck. Yeah. But but then what but but Embercleave is pushing yeah, us towards the curve and is, Collision Colossus. But the curve is way higher in this deck. Like I think this deck this deck plays tall way better than the Mardu Knights deck. Which is weird for an Embercleave deck, but it does. <laughs> like look, it has four and five casting off haste creatures. Right. I feel you get a lot of draws that if you told a Civic food player that was your draw, they would be like, eh. That seems really slow. <laughs> I guess I keep that. Like you know, or like, maybe I don't. And you're like, that's my normal draw. Yeah, so like the, <laughs> the red-green deck's pretty good draw is like the low end of the Simic deck's draws. I of keepable draws, yeah, I think so. So, uh, Zvi taught me something a long time ago, like 20 years ago almost now, and I think it just pertains to what you were asking about uh, the day two metagame versus like, you know, people that's playing day one. People... In, when U.S. Nationals used to be two formats, like all the limited on day one and then all the constructed on day two, people would sometimes choose their deck for day two based on their day one record. Like, I need to go 6-0 versus I only need to go 3-3, right? You know, there's these different schools of thought. Zvi made the correct observation, I think, which is like, well, why don't you just pick the deck with the highest win expectation regardless of what your record is on day one? <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, like, I spent a lot of tournaments wondering where I screwed this up because I couldn't possibly be this simple and have everyone be this wrong. And then I realized, no, it was just the simple. Just Obviously, like, a simple math. So, <laughs> but I think like I don't know if people are fooling themselves, but I think that that win loss records do cluster differently for different decks, right? Like, so you can have like two decks that are going to score like three out of five, right? And one of them scores a lot of threes, and one of them scores a lot of ones and a lot of fives, right? So I think like. You know, you have this kind of a curve or this kind of curve. If you need to go 6-0, you know. I, I, I think it's a little different here because I think in a, in a tournament like this where you where you get a buy at day two, you can kind of expect that the best deck and that the deck to beat the best deck will generally be the decks that kind of advance the most people into day two. Well, So it depends. I think, I think the most populous deck is going to be populous in day two, whether or not it's right. the best deck. But the second best deck typically only will advance the way that you're describing if it plays against the deck it was supposed to play against on day one. If it plays against itself a bunch or if it plays against other rogue decks, because it's a, there's a smaller number of them, sure. there's a lot more variability in you know, the consistency of their day two performance because they could just hit the wrong particle. You, you know what's going to happen round one of the Mythic Championship, right? You know that Ben Stark's going to play Eric for a like, right? Ben Stark's <laughs> yeah. not playing in round. Oh, right. No, I'm sorry. You're right. He's going to play Ken Yuki. We're about day two. Eric, Eric Froelich is going to play Ken Yuki Hero. And we're all going to love that match for 10 minutes it lasts. Well, they can move the camera, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, so the beauty of... No, we'll watch someone else afterwards. You just say, you should focus there first, Wizards. Of coverage <laughs> in the... In the uh, open deckless era is they can plan for these things like in the past oh it's like, gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how hard they have to dodge the golos on golos it's not even feasible because if you you need to put people in contention at the right yeah do you <laughs> I, I mean you know you can what's put, good television that's yeah. what i'm saying I used to, when I was they don't have to pack tokens. That's the nice thing about digital. I, I was I was always an advocate of put the most interesting players and the most interesting decks on camera, and 
there, you know, other people were like, no, we just got to put the contenders on camera no matter how boring the matchup is. You know, that that's a... I think that that's... You I, have I've to always do. been an advocate of later in the tournament, you're going to put these contenders on camera no matter what. And so we want to take our opportunity to showcase what we can right. earlier in the my, tournament. My, my philosophy when I was producing like a, a, a broadcast would be early on, I want to show the coolest stats. Yeah. Um, as the better players, you know, at a Grand Prix, for example, as the better players come into the tournament, I want to start showcasing the better players with a bias towards some of the cool decks. Um, I want to show each deck once. So right. I, even, I want to see one Golo stack just to show that everyone knows what a Golo stack is, but I don't want to, like, start showing mirrors early. It's and then, no yeah, and then I would, uh, and then as the tournament advanced, it would be like, okay, I'm going to look for the best matchup of players in contention, but I'm going to then have a secondary bias against, like, uh, crazy drawn-out Esper Mirror, right? Like, I'm going to yeah. be like, I'm going to be like, no, let's... I agree with that philosophy. Let's push that one to the back table. Can you can you just send that in, like, maybe a, a handwritten note sent by Carrier Pigeon to Alias V or something to make sure that that's, uh, that's taken down for this one? Yeah, I, I believe they are very aware... Of yeah, the they, risk of the Golos on they, Golos. They put an emergency ban asterisk <laughs> for the day after the tournament. So I assume you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Let's, so let's keep talking about that. So that's, that's kind of the Gruel Aggro deck. Um, didn't sound like either of you guys were super big fans. I'm a big fan of the idea of going aggro in this tournament. I think there are good ways to go aggro. I don't think this is one of them. I think that when you just see the Gruel, de the Gruel deck operating, when the Gruel deck is like... And in its medium good draws, it just looks like a, a red deck with better creatures. Like, if you kind of think about it like that. The guys, guys are, like, a little bit bigger, but they, off, but they often have haste, which, which uh, kind of counterbalances the... It plays the, magic. It can win matches. I'm not saying it's all hopeless. I'm saying that, like, you've got these adventure decks which are much more, like, re resilient and explosive. And, you know, can do more powerful do cool things stuff, while yeah. still pressuring... You've got these lower to the ground decks that like can be more threatening. I don't. I think this this just doesn't do anything particularly well. So speaking of a deck that looks like another deck and doesn't do the same thing, but does it do things well? But does it do things well? Well, that's the question. Is the Bant Ramp deck? So Stanislav Sivka is one of a handful of people playing this. I think there's like five Bant Ramp decks in the field. Yeah. And uh, I mean, Sivka, the Pro Tour champion. Yeah, we can all talk about why this is labeled Ramp. When sure. actually all of the same cards to ramp to are labeled something other than ramp. I think this is Bant No Golos. Wait, so, I mean, but it's just the food deck. This with, is Bant Food, right? It's with yeah. Growth Spiral instead of Wicked Wolf, right? Well, interesting. <laughs> it's got two Growth Spirals, so it was labeled ramp. Like, two Growth Spirals and 26 lands. Sure. I guess it, has, no, it, has, it has two Teferis, right? Like, it's... It's almost like why I, it's like sort of I think of this. I think like, the ramp is Nissa, right? We like, turned two of our arboreal grazers into growth spirals to get extra cards. Let's see if anybody catches this. It has Paradise Druid, right? So Paradise Druid is not. Typically I have no problem with Paradise Druid. Like I just sort of it's if you're you're I don't think I, they're saying they have a lot of time if they're willing to play growth spiral instead of arboreal grazer to try and claim the card back. The, the thing that's interesting to me is if I were to play a strategy like this. I think I would want to play more Agent of Treacheries in the main deck and, like, way, way more mass manipulations. Not one mass manipulation in the sideboard. Like, this deck's top-end draws include getting a super explosive amount of mana with Nissa in play in a format where nobody is countering target spell. 
Like, there's almost nothing better to do than right. to cast mass manipulation. Since there are a lot of disdainful strokes running around this field, right? In one strategy. And yeah. that's, that's, that, by the way, that is a new development for this tournament that we only know about you because of... You can't main deck mass manipulation because 40% of the field has nothing worth taking. <laughs> so, but Sifka's deck, by the way, two Teferi, four Oko, four Nyssa, four Gilded Goose, two Grazer, four Krasis, three Deputy, one Agent... Of treachery, four paradise druid. Yeah, I, I do agree. Four once upon a time, two growth spots. Yeah, I do agree that like only having access to one agent of treachery with enough dedication to ramp to run growth spiral does seem like you know who even are you in this so, field in some sense. So, but even if you there's a lot of other cards you want against Golos is the problem, right? Once you know you against Golos, right? He wants Ashiok, he wants disdainful stroke. And how many cards do you really want to take out? I guess is the hypothesis, right? He's happy with what he has. Well, the thing is, even if you agree with V that you can't main deck mass manipulation, this deck has no meaningful payoff whatsoever, right? It has Hydroid Crisis. That's the same as Golos and Bant Food. And this deck does not even ramp better than Bant Food. Like, barely. It has, like, four Paradise Druid and two Growth Spiral. Like, Bant Food is not going to have, like, such words. Does this deck have... Castle Garen Break. So it doesn't even have Castle Garen Break. Like the Banfu deck could potentially do better Crisis because of Castle Garen Break. I will say I am very skeptical of Castle Vantress. Like, I'm not a fan of Castle Garen Break necessarily in these situations, but I don't, I'm even more suspicious of Castle Vantress. I do but understand they're pushing all, Nyssa. I mean, I mean, I do like the fact that like they do have 15 untapped green sources for the first turn because playing Gilded Goose is kind of a big deal in our Royal Grazer. They have Once Upon a Time also. Yeah. That gets you like another two, right? But that's searching for that's why you get the one drop in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> so so is is uh, Stan's plan to like just deputy of detention zombie tokens? Well you need to follow it up. And then to ferry back your deputy of detention and do it again. Okay. Like I think it's certainly a thing he's considering, or deferring back his agent of treachery is certainly a thing right. that I've done profitably, as have many Golos players. Sure. What well, so the there's also the Bant food deck, right? Which is very similar to the Simic food deck, but also as a uh, deputy. Uh, deputy, right? Yeah. That's really the thing. You know, you just have a wrinkle for the zombie tokens. So let's see. Let's look at, let's look at a deck that's banned food. Marcio Carvalho is, is playing banned food. And I guess the, the big difference that they've made in choosing these deck lists is the presence of Teferi and the presence of Growth Spiral. I mean, Marcio, yeah, he doesn't have Teferi, he doesn't have Growth Spiral, he doesn't have a Royal Grazer either. Oh, wow. He's got six two-mana mana guys. He has six druids. Well, two leafkins. And the four gilded goose. How do you feel about two once upon a time, 24 lands? I like the 20... I like the two once upon a time and wonder where the other two are. (laughs) 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 Got the job half done. I agree. The the half half is done really well. I applaud (laughs) your first half. Especially if you're going to play more specialized cards, I think. Like, let's talk about cutting a Leafkin Druid and Deputy of Detention and getting those two once upon a time and you're just making it strictly better. Right. Is is three Deputy of Detentions and four once upon a times better than two once upon a times and four Deputy of Detentions? Deputy of Detention is kind of bad all the time when your opponent is not playing with zombie tokens or if your opponent has any, any way to remove it from play. Like, especially, like, at instant speed. Like, you know, some yeah. people can do that, and you could be in a lot of trouble. I mean, it's a risk to play the card. But no, it's, it's just not good in these matchups, I think, right? Like, I mean, it, 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 this, it gives you more exposure than it gives you... Uh, I would bet this card is ups. coming out in a lot of non-zombie token matchups, right? 
Like, I mean, here, just imagine like this. If you're playing against Cynic Food, do you think that Deputy Detention is a good card? No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of it in that matchup. But I think it's actually. I think it's pretty good against the decks that actually showed up in, in this tournament. It's great against Hydroid Crisis, right? Uh, but it's terrible against Wicked Wolf. Right? Well, that's that's, what, yes, that's what. That's exactly yeah. why I'm. I'm not a, a, a huge fan. Wicked Wolf is often overloaded, right? Like the Wicked Wolves are busy killing questing beasts, for example. <laughs> <laughs> We're just beast up. <laughs> it's a really good job for them to do, right? Like I'm pretty happy when my Wicked Wolf kills the questing beast. I'm pretty sad when they kill my questing beast. <laughs> uh, this deck has a lot of air in the mid game though because of all the paradise druids and leafka druids instead of once upon a times and additional threats yeah the hope is that Nissa turns your lands into things and Oko turns your bad creatures into things and therefore like your things right. are things there's no bad things they're just three threes yes there are no bad thing only elk <laughs> so I mean these, I, yeah, I mean I guess I see I see the difference in the two lists but they yeah. are they are they are similar. Which do you like better, the Bant Ramp or the Bant Food? I like Sifka's list better. Yeah, See, I, I I feel like it, it knows what it wants to be more, and also just I can't I can't ever choose the deck of two once upon a times or the deck of four once all right, upon so, a times. All right, so yeah, I sorry. don't disagree with any of the statements that's V made. I would still pick Marcio's deck. Sifka's deck doesn't have a payoff, right? Like every single deck in the room can do something on the order of casting a Nyssa or making a big Hydroid Crisis. He's spending a bunch of stuff to not get zombie tokens and not have the threat density and card quality. Right, I'm also going to just come out and say, like, three Fable of Passage is not acceptable. Like, <laughs> you do not have the ability to play that card. Any Fable Passage, right? I mean, I just well, think so, so Marcio's playing three and Sifka's playing two. Like, I mean, Sifka, Sifka, I think even more. Sifka has a Boreal Grazer in his deck. And, like, a Boreal Grazer Fable of Passage is the ultimate Nambo. But, like, <laughs> it's... I mean, 26 lands makes people passage a lot better because you can actually play as your fourth land reasonably often, and it comes into play on tap. 24 by only two once upon a time makes this a lot shiftier. And also, it's like, you have to play a planes now? <laughs> right? Like, look at Sifka with the... Wait, Sifka has no planes, right? I yeah. don't know if you caught that. Yeah, no. I Sifka's was, like, I'm going to play Fable Passage, but let's not go nuts. <laughs> well, he has 26 lands. You feel like he can afford it. No. like. Oh, he has two Castle Vantress. How many temples are in Marcio's deck, and how many temples are in the Pantheon deck? Ten, zero uh, do, in do, do we count? Do we count Temple Garden? No. <laughs> yeah, no, no, and zero. So zero Temple of Mystery. How about, how about in the, the, the Simic version? Do they have any Temple of Mystery? Two Temple of Mystery. Well, stiff, it, I mean, in, like, in Kai's deck. Yeah, I just, I don't oh, understand. Okay. Like, just, it feels like playing an actual plane yeah. in three Fabled Passages where you could have run three, te you know, Temples of Mystery. Right. He's a pretty big sacrifice. And yeah, like, the, the air problem is real, right? Like, Temple of Mystery in these food decks often will get rid of a actually useless land or find you a actually necessary land. And save your ass. The thing that I'm concerned about with Sifka's deck is is so much air, but like, or I mean, both of these decks actually, where you've got these one ones for multiple mana that just that shut down zombie tokens only in the short term, right? Like, you have to remember, Field of the Dead, especially multiple copies of Field of the Dead, are essentially infinite, right? Like, you're, they have no upper limit to how many zombies that they can create. They're they're limited only by time, but these decks are limited by actual cardboard. No, the, the way you should think about this, in, in my feeling, is Debbie Detention allows them to play a card which can deal with regular permanents from regular people. 
and also with like fires of invention or like various other things that might come down, uh, has perfectly play, you know, take your Oko, hope you can't remove this, you know, things like that. And then if you actually play against Golos, it's the card that falters. It's the card that says, wipe your board, kill you right now with my ground army. And, or at least severely retard your ability to kill me along the way. And so it's not that, right? It, it plays against Golos. Don't think of it as like the specialized card specifically for Golos. I sure. think that's not the way to think about it. All right. But I mean, the, that's how I think about the, it. The thing here about, you know, looking at safety, I mean, I mean, I guess the Nissas are putting, putting some offense on the board, but he just doesn't have a lot of offense on the board otherwise. You know, he's got the Hydroid Crisis, but, I mean, honestly, it's... This is a, a collection of, of mana creatures and some spe- you know and some specialists. Well, he's got so this is a powerful card, but like this deck doesn't even exploit it that much, right? Like there's like some decks are just I'm gonna get a Nissa emblem, I'm gonna ultimate, I have all these permanents in play. Like this, this deck's not even special. Yeah. You know, like I don't know. I'm not not a huge fan of that deck, but you know, with it, a lot of good players all played it, right? Multiple, at least one Pro Tour champion. How many Pro Tour champions played? Played that uh, uh, Rampy deck. The Ramp deck? Let's see. I mean, Sifka's a Pro Tour champion. He is? Yes. Uh, so, Ram- uh, let's see. Hey, remember? Martin Yuza, not a Pro Tour champion, he's but good Hall of Famer. He's also playing the same deck, Bant Ramp. Uh, his list looks pretty pretty close, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gregors Kowalski, a runner-up at World Championship. Um, one of the most somehow I think still underrated players in the world. I think people just don't know his name. Yeah, they just don't know. He, he's had like his, but his finishes are both very high, if not first and recent. Yeah. All right. So. So he's he's also playing Bant Ramp. Uh, Andre Strosky, uh another you know, uh, you know high level German, of like high level of ability player. and recency. Uh, so you know, really like the Eastern Europeans and Oliver too. <laughs> All right. But this field is obviously stacked. Yeah, but this is, this is, by, by the way, we're you know we're talking about this deck and we're saying it does, but this is like yeah, the five names we named are, all, are like a fantasy team. Wait, isn't Oliver? He's like a national champion, right? Oliver, no, you're thinking of um, Oliver Tomiko. Oh, Oliver sorry. Two was uh, Rookie of the Year, Constructed Master. Okay. Gamer, gamers helping gamers. Gamers helping he gamers. Was a master. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm just completely wrong about this. Or, you know, world champion, top four competitor. Um, the year that BBD and Marcel uh, played in the Was finals? he playing the blue-green deck that picks up all of its cards and replays them? I don't remember. I, don't I think remember. he was. I don't remember what he was I playing. Think he was. Right, I, but, like, this is a fantasy team, these five players. Like, two-thirds of this field is part of is fantasy team material. Yes. Something like that, right? Sure, Maybe that's more. fair. Well, half the team is the MPL. <laughs> right. MPL, right? But of, like, half of it's the MPL, and then half of the rest is actively pretty great, too. I mean, like, to get into the tournament, like, you gotta... Yeah. Look, some people spiked a tournament. Some people were good streamers, but I mean, not just, like just, that level of player. Just for like level but. setting, like Aaron Barish is probably in the bottom half of the of, of this, and like Aaron Barish is a superstar domestically on camera every week, winning tournaments. Right, so like that's you know the just the quality of the field. This is this is the uh, can you hit a curveball, kid? <laughs> we can <laughs> no, 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 like, no. That's what I'm saying. Like, this is a special. This is a, yeah. a, a special tournament. Yeah. To be in the tournament is. Yeah. I'm just like, this is because because this very easily. I know no offense to Barrett, right? But this is very easily. You know, the back of the SCG tour bus with with <laughs> with Nuke Lelouch giving him a telling Nuke about the one time he got a cup of coffee and you know couldn't hit okay. a major league curveball. Well, there <laughs> are a few deer. 
They don't get a ride into some headlines. Okay. Yeah. But to, not very many. To be clear, <laughs> if you want to pick a team on all in the same deck, one team has Hall of Famer Reed Duke, I, Hall of Famer Yellow Hat, oh, no. Hall of Famer Kai Budic, oh, like five-time platinum player, uh, 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 Andrew Cuneo, and um, who's their other player? Uh, let's see. Let's look for Disdainful it, Stroke. It's, it'll be a pretty It's going to be a Hall of Fame Pro Tour champion. So it's Kai. Yeah. Andrew Cuneo. Okay, Mikel Diaz is not on that team. Reed Dude. Duke. Uh, Yuki Ichikawa is also playing a version, but that's not it. William Jensen, world oh, champion. I'm sorry. I missed Who Billy. Forgot? I forgot yeah. Billy. <laughs> Gabriel Nassif. Uh, and Shahar. then Shahar Shanhar. So we have actual Wait. world we have actual two-time world champions. World champion? We have actual okay. world champions. I pick their deck. I'm not- <laughs> it's me. I pick their deck. I understand that. <laughs> I'm looking at Shota Yasaoka's version. He's also playing Simic Food. Uh, does he have does he have PC Troll King? He does. No, he does no one. Not. No one. There he has no, Brazen Borrower. He has one Brazen Borrower. Castle Gamberg. It's fine. Yeah, only two disdainful strokes main. He has he, the agent. Yeah, he has the agent. Twenty six lance. He's he six hydras. One, he does have one Castle Gamberg. Yeah, he's got the voracious hydras and the hydroid crisis. So, what do you think about the voracious hydras? The the four of them after board. Sideboard. Yeah, I do like having more payoff that can still play some game in the middle. Like it gives you a lot of flexibility. Your deck is often going to have like more meta than it needs at one point, and then be pretty meta squeezed at other points. I have been like, that's a solid card often so, when it plays. I think like when I was trying to contextualize it, like a lot of these decks are playing some number of Castle Garenbrig, could be one, right? And if you're not playing with Feasting Troll King, which is like the basically the natural six in the format that nobody's playing, you're basically like Hydroid or no. You just need to have, I think, something else that's going to get a pay off your mana, and that's that's a pretty good. He's got two high, two precarious hydras and an agent of treachery. Like I think it's fine. Oh, Shadow has an agent. I didn't realize. Yeah. That. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, one agent. I always find it weird when they have, like one agent main, no board. But, like, <laughs> wait, wait. So he has to unwash mana then, right? <laughs> I mean, you can't. But well, yeah. So if it doesn't work, then right? You can't do that. Yeah, it doesn't, yeah. It doesn't help you cast that. Um, is it is it interesting to see questing beast in the sideboard? <laughs> So Shada has Agent but no Questing Beast? He has three three. Questing Beasts in the board. So Let's look at this list. Okay. (laughs) First of all, Pro Tour Champion, all respect. Let's look at this disaster of a list. All due respect to the amazing player, (laughs) Shota Yasuka. Whatever Zvi said, I agree. This is ridiculous now. This is insane. (laughs) Okay, like, what the hell is this? Okay. You clearly own them. They're in your board. Okay. Why aren't they made? (laughs) You didn't have problems crafting them like I did, but there's only three. Maybe he ran out of mythic wild cards. You can find some wild cards, but, like, you know, Grish's Hydra, I like it in theory. You know, I can understand wanting all four copies of Nissa, et cetera, et cetera. But you can't do it at the expense of Questing Beast. But what about four Wicked Wolf and a Brazen Borrower remain? But I, 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 could, like, I would shave a Wicked Wolf before I shaved a... Or like three and three or something. I don't know. Again, you cannot... <laughs> if you want to tell me three Questing Beasts for this Legend rule, I will inform you that I played it on matches that I'm very confident you're wrong. But I, I at least understand it. To not <laughs> run even one... I don't want to look at Kai's list. Kai's list looks like a masterwork to me. <laughs> it's just Matt's list with with disdainful stroke uh, swapping for brazen borrower. Though. Yeah, yeah. No, I was just saying, but it's it's the four questing beast in in the um, 
Yeah, version the, is in the version from the Pantheon. But the Pantheon deck is like the apex predator of correctly built decks. It's nine. It's nine times four and twenty-four. They knew what the nine best cards were and put them in their deck. I mean, it's important that they play five islands and three temples of mystery, so that it's not quite perfectly elegant. But I'm willing to accept that it's actually. They have a correct. castle Garenbrig. They're mixing they, it up. I mean, Kai does not have a castle Garenbrig, oh. and they should not have a castle Garenbrig. Some of them have a castle game. Look, I, I, it's probably fine, but personally, I'd rather have a 16th on tap green source on turn one. Breeding pool is mythic? No. Okay. The You're just misreading the symbols. The, the so, no, no, the sorter. There's a, you sort by rarity feature. Oh. Okay, um, it's just being It's just wrong. Yeah, I'm like, what? Oh, I didn't know you could do that. That's just depressing for my <laughs> MTGA collection now. Um, but the, the, the civic food deck from the Pantheon, I love the elegance, I love the simplicity. You know, it's got a lot. I will almost certainly build this list and try it at some point in the coming week or two, just to see how it plays. See if I'm missing something with the ways I've been building it. Like, I think. Got a lot to I mean, isn't, I think this, isn't Questing Beast just fantastic against the Oko decks? Am I? I mean, against the Golos decks? Am I yes, it gets also past the zombies decks. and also the Oko decks. Yes. <laughs> Like, have you read Questing Beast? Yeah, okay. I mean, it has a I'm, lot I'm of not noise. done with it. I have a bookmark, and I'm going to finish it later. Okay, but here's the other thing about it. Here's but it's all good text, so it's fine. Here's the thing about Questing Beast. It's also great against the aggro decks. So, like, you play it, and it attacks them, and they're like, oh, shit, I don't have anything big enough to block that. So, and then they're like, I also don't have anything to get past it on offense. I could throw a lot of stuff at it and hope they don't have another one because it's legendary. It has this, like a hundred yeah, abilities. This thing of like, I'm so sad I do my questing beast has basically happened zero times other than like, I don't have land four. <laughs> we, we got beast flooded with four beasts. And no four. And all four of them hit play. And all four of them got, all right, you so, know, eventually the fourth one got the so job done. Here's the thing about questing beast. It has vigilance. Yeah. So it plays offense, defense. And it has haste. So it just brains you in the face. And it has death touch. So don't fuck with it. And it has this other ability that doesn't have a keyword, so you can't fuck with it. <laughs> it's like, this card is like... Wizards is kind of like... How many ways did I have to tell you to play this card before you played this card? Could it, I have been more clear? And it still somehow? has more text. I don't even know what the rest of the text is. Well, that's the kill a planeswalker text. Well, there's also the fog text. <laughs> anyway, oh, yeah. the number... I have considered sideboarding out Questing Beast. Zero seconds, zero times. Like, it has never occurred to me in any deck requesting these that I, I might take one I, out. I really hope, I, honestly, I really hope there's a Japanese translator at the event who can uh, facilitate, you know, Becca asking about that because I want to know All right, how so. he ends up with questing, like, in a deck that can easily cast them, how does he end up with questing beasts in the sideboard in a field where it's great? In a field where it's the best... Exactly what you want. It does exactly what you want it's it to a good, do. It's a it, good it, it does exactly what you want to get to do against deck A and deck B. It has text. And all it, the other decks. It has text put there specifically to handle the decks you are going to face. <laughs> Magic yeah. decks. Yeah, the, yeah. the thing that's great about it is... Same. Also that. If you're playing against Golos, it's really good against their alleged uh, blockers. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but if you're playing against like, the Mirror or against like... You know, like, a, a, a Jess guy Planeswalker deck or whatever, it just kills all their shit. It, yeah, no. I, it I has mean, haste also. I really, I mean, watch, I mean, watch Shota just win the tournament 
and understand stuff on some level that we're we're just missing. But we're actually really, win the tournament and then be like, yes, I should have played, played the main. <laughs> I should have played all four main. I'm sorry. Or, or like, what if he's like, <laughs> the tournament? <laughs> but what if he like wins every match one two and his like twentieth point of damage is always questing beast damage? <laughs> like, who's right then? Yeah, I, I don't still know. showed up. It's it's crazy. Look, he's the, this this tournament is very winnable. But like, I don't want to walk into a forty with four wicked wolves in the main and crushing beast in the sideboard against forty percent Golos deck. It's going to be a long day. Yeah, it's I mean, be maybe, a very I mean, long day. Maybe he was just expecting that it would be a more against Golos. Uh, the more of the field would be preying on Golos. But again, I don't I, I don't I don't know the I don't know the matchup where you're hat where you're sad. Yeah, I mean, wicked wolf, I guess, is slightly favored against questing beast. But most of the decks have question pieces have both. Yeah, yeah. Right, like that's the it's like and it's a very slight favor. What, what I, I have decks where I didn't put Wicked Wolf in the deck or I didn't put it in the main. I don't have decks where I don't put Questing Beast in. Questing Are they Beast green? Is, I'm saying they have green. I'm saying you always run Questing Beast and then sometimes you play Wicked Wolf and sometimes you said we're like Wolf. Hyper aggro Stompy deck you had had Questing Beast in the main. Right, right, right but it doesn't have the food edge. It doesn't have Yoke. Yeah. It doesn't have it doesn't have the thief. Yeah, but I I just I no, don't know. Go. There's not a lot of decks. I guess maybe like the maybe the wolf theme deck that nobody's. To be clear, the 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 splash the splash Oko in that deck anyway campaign is definitely not zero percent succeed. It's just not where I have in mind right now. The problem is Temple is so bad, so like I don't think you can. What what other decks do you guys want to talk about here? Let's talk about the Jeskai Planeswalker deck. So that's Jeskai Fires. There's only the one copy of that deck in, yeah. in the in the room. Is it a great Recorded? card? Yeah. So I've seen this list elsewhere. It's pretty stock. I mean, not to say that this wasn't the original source, but I don't think it was. Um, it, was like, it was like a week one MTGO five. Yeah, it's pretty clear. Like, look, it's it's just, it, it, it does what it does. Uh, so it's playing twelve planeswalkers, Narset, three Sarkin, four Teferi, and one Ugin. It's got four Fey of Wishes and two Kenrith as its creatures. It's got Fires of Invention and Prison Realm as five enchantments, and then it's got ten sorceries. Four Deafening Clarion, one Drawn from Dreams, which is super sweet with the fires. Yeah. Uh, three Shimmer of Possibility, and two Time Wipe. Yeah, I'm actually kind of curious why there's only one Drawn from Dreams. I've seen a lot of versions that play more, much more than one. Uh, but basically, I mean, does he have another one in his sideboard? No. no I mean, no. a lot of these decks don't play Kenrith. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess also, the Planeswalker mix seems a little odd to me. I think like, it's, the Planeswalker mix makes it. This deck is highly reliant on Sarkin to actually win games. Once you have Fae of Wishes going with Fires of Invention, you've got a lot of ways to win games. So, so, getting games is not really your problem anymore. Like, I understand the argument about not sideboarding a Fires of Invention in the Golos decks, but what about here? Like, this deck is set up to... This is its plan. You have no acceleration, right? So, your plan is to go turn four... Granted, which has nothing. Four fires of invention? Yeah, but then you can have a pretty good turn five. I mean, turn five is play a five-mana spell, which is like an okay turn five. It's like time wipe on turn five as your first real action or something? I mean, I might not be very high at that point. Right? By, but you mean you're not above zero. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the red deck could polish you off if that's your draw. I mean, you just you do that and then they untap the questing beast and you die, right? That's pretty standard. <laughs> by, by the so way, negative. This is this negative is three, negative two, something like that. So close to being a fifteen individual card sideboard. Because it's a fade. Because it's a fade. But the second Ashiok is is just a nod in the direction of reality, right? It's like you well, want, we want to board two of these in. So the, one of them in. The I cool, think two. <laughs> really? Yeah. Don't you want to be able to have more? It's too late. Okay. 
like you have to do this under circuitous route. Oh yeah, on curve. Like, you can't. You can't actually wish for it. Like okay. it just, it's not meaningful. So he told me the coolest thing. Uh, he actually posted this on Twitter. Uh, he had cast a uh, a witch witch claw talisman and then searched for Ishiak. And then his opponent tried to use the witch claw talisman. Lol. <laughs> How great is that? Yeah. Wait, wait, not only did I get the talisman back. He shame scooped. <laughs> <laughs> right, so that's a great curve, right? You're like, turn on Wishcock Talisman, go, right? I guess no, if you... It's, you not, get, it's not actually uh, that crazy. If you, right? had, if you had a you place... You have to do turn four. If you right? had a place odds on you... Like, as you, so, so Zvi's obviously preparing for the Mythic Championship in Richmond in a couple weeks, right? It's like right after this. Yeah. And uh, what are the odds of you not... Playing uh, Wish Claw Talisman is a card you really want to play. I don't know if you will, right? But you really want to play this card. I think the odds are heavily against me actually playing it at this time because I found other things that I like more. But yeah, I I feel like you have this tutor engine where you can actually like do things like take all three wishes or bounce it and keep taking wishes, and it costs you very little to do. Yeah, and the format is just so fast and time. You have infinite time and no one's attacking you or your planeswalkers. Everything's great. Well, it's also a pretty good way to just find your spell that keeps you alive on turn three or four, as long as you don't mind giving them a wish claw talisman, which is a problem. The thing I like about wish claw talisman. <laughs> we did have that one. Uh... That happened, yes. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, right. You gave me a wish claw talisman? I guess I'll just kill you. I'll like, just go get my troll king or whatever he's Yeah, doing. I told no, you. Feasting troll king. king. I think he got uh, the red fell. Red fell. <laughs> <laughs> You gave it to a red deck? I had no choice. I was dead if I didn't. Yeah. It sounds like you were dead if you did. I didn't know what he had in his deck. Maybe he hasn't any good. I don't know. The, the thing about Wish Cloud Talisman is sometimes you can get a card that's so good it just invalidates their whole strategy. Well, if so you get Ashiok, yeah. they can't search. If you get Teferi, you can bounce the Wish Cloud Talisman and keep going. Yeah. Or if you already have Teferi, you can bounce We're it just like naively not in a, in a format anymore that like... It's funny because like planes like just if you planar cleansing it, it gets killed and then yeah. you move on with your life. Right? I'm just That's gonna play a nice. hundred planeswalkers and like some guys, and this is like one of the best strategies in standard. That's like a joke now, right? Like <laughs> the idea that like you would play multiple planeswalkers and like maybe have a hero or like a some sort of a two three flyer. <laughs> like I had three planeswalkers out simultaneously this morning. Did you win? Yeah. Oh, but it was the deck you were talking about last night, right? Not, yeah. not a deck anybody's playing. No, it's not here. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, we're, it's we're, real. Before you right go, no, no, I'm, I'm saying like Esper or like Mono Green Super Friends decks, or you know, like from the last cycle. Yeah, really I mean, there's, there's still Super Friends decks. There's multiple good Super Friends strategies. All right. Um, Maybe, yeah, so the adventure is left, right? We have yeah. that adventure. Yeah, so we have, we have Golgari adventure and Selesny adventure. Let's start with Golgari. You pick the one, yeah. Let's start with Golgari. So let's find, like, Levy's list or something? Sure. So there's a few people playing it. Um, so every time I play, every time I get paired against this deck. So, so every time I yeah. just try to search for something, by it's the Golgari way. Golgari Just with. <laughs> That's not the right <laughs> That he, chose, is, he chose the wrong keyword. It is not correct. You have to keep going. If yes. you say adventure, it'll work. So, so Peter Glogowski. Yeah, I have the same list. Yeah. So, whenever I play against this deck, it always strikes me sort of that they're letting me off the hook, <laughs> right? Like they're they're not putting me under any particularly sharp pressure, right? If the game goes long, they're not going to do an overwhelmingly large amount of stuff. If the game, they're not going to put me under 
that much life total pressure right away. They're doing the standard rock thing of like, I'm going to do annoying things that generate some advantage and then annoy you and that are like potentially generative of advantage and maybe I'll like brick wall you in a way that's hard to get through. And like sometimes I'm playing a deck where the fact that they have a bunch of death touch and removal and it's just kind of hard to deal with lets them just exhaust me and eventually build up and eventually win. But so often it feels like they do just unimpressive things. They do things like turn one go or turn one 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 and then turn two do something very similar. And then turn three, like, do something not that impressive. Or even if they're, like, turn on one, one, turn two, like, play two guys, draw two cards or something. It's, like, not even that good. Like, they're also just not playing the full copies of, like, you know, like, the yeah, like three questing beasts, for example, right? Like... They need to make room for their adventure guys. I mean, I understand. And for their great henge. Well, you gotta play for a love struck beast. Like, they have a great henge. They have, like, two fine finalities. They have two weaknesses. They have, they have a bunch of cool things they can do. They can definitely, like, win games by just doing things that are, like just reasonably powerful that play good magic and that like they've disrupted your ma- like you're trying to do something tighter but like it's been disrupted a little bit and they eat it out but I always feel like I'm being left off the hook when I play it I like it just always feels that I think way unless I'm walking into a, or I'm walking into a nightmare because I'm playing mono green and it's like I can't ever win like Legion's yeah. End I think is a good card in this deck for a couple of reasons like unlike you know the the detention guy like this deck has serious attackers so like, just, you know Get rid of all their zombies. Look, I understand why it's there. I think it's a very... Re- in this in this field, I like it being there. I, I think this is the best Lovestruck Beast deck. You don't think... In the field? Yeah. Yes. You don't think Simic is the best Lovestruck Beast Simic doesn't deck? run it. No. I, I don't, because... because Simic has... Because is another sideboard You talked about all the dirtily... But you talked about all the dirtily one ones in here. Yeah. Simic doesn't they have actually, the Falmire Knights and Edgewell Innkeepers yeah. that cause it both to be a cantrip and to be able to attack. Yeah, sure. Yeah, this is just this is just the best love struck beast deck. And you know, and this is and like Peter's deck here and probably Raf's that you're looking is actually a four of love struck, which is what right. you've been saying. Like your deck is either one or zero or four. Right. I mean unless you've got so many one ones that like you don't have to play four anymore. Yeah. But I think in this like it's, I think this it's deck not a legendary creature, right? No. This is regular. No, no but the, the problem with love struck beast is always going to be how do I make sure I have a one one Consistently. By the way, this deck can still screw up ever being able to attack with a Lovestruck Beast. Because of the Great Henge. Because of the Great Henge. And just not care. <laughs> that is also true. Probably yes. okay. Yeah. Uh, Vivian but Arco also, no. Because whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield, so as long as you have a Lovestruck Beast, as long as you have Heart's Desire, you can get a 1-1 back. Oh, that's true. I think Vivian Arco Rangers are a really good card in the format. It's kind of uh, underrated because it's, it's not played in There Paris. are six swamps in this deck. So it's not guaranteed. But like, I've certainly not played Vivian in other decks for less non-green lands than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or at least not very many more. Um, but, you know, it's a good card. V- Vivian, is this, is this going to be Vivian's moment? Is this, is this I thought Vivian's moment was like a, two months ago. Yeah. You mean Vivian as a character? No, it's like, just like, is this card going to really shine this weekend? Um, I don't think this is... In the top half of impressive deck lists. No offense. <laughs> okay. I think this is All right, so the how, weakest or second weakest deck we've talked about. How, how does what, it, do you, what do you think, Zvi? In terms of win expectation. I don't like the chances. Like I don't I think this matchup against Golos is pretty bad. Based on my experience. I know that like they managed to get through some fields which had a bunch of Golos decks from the past, but in my experience, like when I play Golos and I see that this is the kind of time they're going to give me, 
Like your engine, your engine is just good enough to generate stuff that doesn't matter, but not good enough to actually matter. So, like, I mean, they can get the, they can draw the right half of their deck. Like this deck has a lot of like two ofs and three ofs, so. You can, but like. But it's just worse It's just not going to do anything way too often. Like, what did they do with all the mana from Nyssa? Not much. What? <laughs> Look, I, I've always I guess there's, there's some world where with Nyssa and Gr a Great Henge that you just do some version of Experimental Frenzy. Yeah, you know, like, where you just keep, like, chaining creatures I, off the top of your deck. This deck can definitely do crazy stuff, in theory, with the right exact copies. It's a party. But I've always, yeah. look, I've always been Nyssa skeptic. I think Nyssa in this deck is just playing the rock version of, like, a generation 3-3 three, three every turn with lands I don't need anymore. It lets me, like, do slightly more stuff with, like, fine, with, like finality... And casting the henge, and like if I have the innkeepers, I can just go completely over the top and use order of midnights and like do crazy stuff. But yeah, I just don't think it's there. I think strategically, like if I you wouldn't run it. if you wanted to push the the possible angles on a deck like this, you would at the very least have to play more nisses in the sideboard. Like what you really want is a situation where you're at four or five mana. You've committed enough material to the battlefield that your opponent has to tap their mana to kill all your stuff, and then you land like two big things, possibly with haste, yeah. right? Which is kind of what the strategy of of what the red version does, right? But this deck, like, all right, just Nissa attack for three, no follow up, like that's just not. Like, Liliana's in the board. Liliana seems like much more of the high end planeswalker yeah. than like you want. Except it's terrible. It's yeah, It's always Nissa. Peter's one of the really great deck builders in the game right now. So I'm really curious what led him to end up on this. So so if you've seen over the last week, like the Drowned Secrets, Arclight Phoenix, Creeping Chill, Narcamoeba, Merfolk Secret Keeper deck running around standard, that's like Glagowski. Like he's, you know, he, he's always doing like really interesting things. I, I'm curious what it is about this deck that he was like, yes, this is my weapon that I'm gonna choose to, to play against Golos and to play for against... For like $100,000. For, for, for a very serious... For, yeah. With a, with a lot of EV on the line, right? Like, there's... So, uh, yeah, it's... It's interesting. How, how do you like it compared to Selesny Adventure? I think I like it better than Selesny Adventure at this point. <laughs> um, Which, keep in mind, sport, you know, reminders for people previously, like three minutes ago, Zv and Mike did not like Golgari Adventures. I mean, we're playing Toxin <laughs> Intruder? I mean, like, I don't understand how this is a real deck. <laughs> Where's the Lucky Clover? Like, it has unbreakable for me. I, I don't even want to save these guys. Like, it's... <laughs> like, not all... Some of them don't even... Like, the March of the Multitudes is, like, in the sideboard, or in some cases, not even there. Like, what, one of the things that really excited me about Duke's build was you could just do marches that are huge very quickly right. and just overwhelm people. And you're giving that up, and then I don't even know why we're even here, like, to our extent. Like, I mean, like, Shepherd of the Flock. That's a card that's on brand. It's an adventure creature, and it's in the, your colors. Why would, I ever wanna, why would I ever want to play this? Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> because we get to recast our adventures. Because we get to recast Luxodon, Veteran, Lux, Veteran Luxodon. Because they're about to kill one of my creatures and I save it. And I put it back on my hand and I cast it again. Why wouldn't I want to cast this? This seems great. An innkeeper, I draw, I draw that card every time it comes down. Like, I'm just going to town. I don't know what Are you kidding? Is. Like, 
I'm literally just saving cards that don't make the cut in any other deck, and like I have a three one for two. That's like, that's what I get. Sure. And when I'm cantripping, I'm just cantripping into more of this stuff. Trick Knight of Autumn, get my coming to play trigger again. Like I, I all this hate. I I, I love how. Turn four, the Great Henge is too slow. But like, in minute time to like pick up sheep I mean, again, is... once again, I mean, play this thing is planning to just freaking kill you with like these guys, right? right. Like it's planning to go veteran Luxodon on turn three. So it's just oh, you're saying it's on. just play it as the white lead. This is a this is a white lead Luxodon deck. That, that's what it is in its heart, and it has these other tricks later. But it's a it's a white lead deck that goes like turn three turn three veteran Luxodon, turn four questing beast smasher face. That's what it's actually trying to do. Is that better you, you, or worse you, than just playing the Celestia cards from last year? Lands. I'm a little skeptical that's happening on turn four. But, you know, the hope. Yeah, but look, you could just be playing the Celestia cards from last year, which are all still legal. <laughs> like, I'm not sure that this and is was, better. This is faster, and it draws and it gets the innkeeper thing going. Right? It has a lot of power. Like, you have... You, you, you get to play Questing Beast. Like, this, you get to play Lovestruck Beast. This has to be a deck that is selected. I, I mean, I can't imagine you select any deck for this tournament that... You don't believe beats Golos, right? So that, no, has, I think, to I mean, the, that has to be the selection. Sect won the classic last week. This deck ripped through a field of Golos. This deck, this deck list should be strong against Golos. It's certainly better than the black version against Golos, right? right? Like it's, it gets to do the thing of I'm just going to rip into you as fast as possible. You know, Fairy Guide Mother does just smack them with a Love Struck Beast for seven. Sure. Right against the Zombie Horde, like. Venerate Luxon on turn three, like, on the play, like, are there draws out of Golos that actually don't just die? Right. right? Like, I've got, like, ten power on the board. You're dead on, you know, you're just dead. But of the other, but the other decks we've looked at, you don't think this beats Simic Food or Bant Ramp or... I mean, do you think... It's if, capable if, of winning games, like, but you, I think the cards are just worse. If you just play two guys in the first two turns, which is what you want to do with this deck, and your opponent just on their second turn plays Oko... How do you think that game goes? Good for Oka. <laughs> I mean, like, look, find me the card in this list that forces them to play a third spell. That's really well, the... Well, they have Conclave Tribunal on their sideboard. Find me the card in this Fairy list. Fairy Guide Mother attack? Fly over? Try to kill Oko? I mean, that doesn't even... Right? Like... Questing Beast? I mean, like, if you... Uh, okay, if you... If you, if you I guess it has four Questing Beast. Respect. Respect. Yeah. Questing Beast is real. <laughs> Look, the deck, the deck has some cards in it. It can play some magic. It's not the worst. I, I just... Look, I I do feel like I, it has a lot of surprising ability to have some play while assembling a lot of power quickly. But as we do put it, it doesn't recover well from sweepers. Right. The problem is, these decks all have sweepers in them. Well, I think that the... Yeah. the to be fair, the Unbreakable Formation is a, an answer to those things. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. If you if you've got it in your hand, I mean, it's the whole three mana back somehow. Yeah, but just take your own descriptions. V. if you're like you know five power on turn three or something, you know, you know ten power. Look, I like the goal. Like you'll get them right. I think that's that's the weakness. Like you still can lose, but I do like the goal matchup. I think I haven't tested it. Um, I just I don't think this deck has enough power. I think it's you know vulnerable to sweepers, but it's not bad. Like compared to a lot. These new cards are really powerful. There's a lot going on here. Like, you could do a lot worse. All right. Zvi, give me a prediction for Mythic Championship 5. So, I think that um, 
these Ember Gleam Knight players are in a pretty good spot uh, if their decks work like they think they do, right? Uh, I especially like Yuvi Hero's build, although he has to fight day one. Um, I like I Ben Stark's don't have to fight day one. I do think that's more important. <laughs> I like his position, maybe, yeah. not the build, right? I think, I think like, if I had to make one prediction, like, I think Golos will underperform. Like, because I think that, by, like, oh, everyone knows it's population, yeah. Right, I mean, that's the big question. Like, will Golos overperform or underperform? It's numbers. Right. So, so one in the top four would be underperforming here. I mean, yeah, two is like a slightly above par, but like you just look at the overall win percentage and like yeah. the broader feel. I think that like one it, thing will, you can do is it will convert to day two less than separate them by sub by sub uh, sub archetype, right? Fire decks versus Arbalest. Yeah, I mean, like one of them might do okay, but like I think fundamentally speaking, it's it's the same. mostly the same thing. Like the statement I'm making is, you know, I think that this tournament isn't anywhere near as ready as, like, the current ladder queue, but Ooh. is still ready enough, I would certainly expect, uh, that, you know, the players who are prepared to do something else will, in fact, do better. Um, they don't have to be worse quality players, either way. Like, there's very good players both on Golos and on non-Golos. Um, my prediction that the better players would, would tend towards Golos, um, it turns out to be much closer to about even, I think. In terms of like the goalless players versus the non goalless players, which are better? Uh, I think the non goalless players, I mean, there are exceptional players in both piles, but the concentration of players on, on Simic Food is. Yeah, the Simic, is food players, Simic, the Simic Food players are the best, like by its. They are just the best players minus one or two players are, on the other side. Yeah, right? True. Like. <laughs> that's true. Um, some of, I mean, some of the. Some of the uh, you know, special invite style players have gone with like roguish decks, as expected. So I think they're right. I, I think that I'm going to just re-up my prediction from last time there was an event like this. I was off by one. Pick the same player. Okay. Yeah. Who are you picking? Kai. I picked Kai last time. He finished second. So you jinxed him. All right. What if I pick, like, <laughs> Kai against Jensen in the finals? One of them's going to win. Sure. Um, so you, 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 really like, you really like the Simic Food deck. Actually, um, I'm going to pick Kai against Hat. Sorry, Billy. Wow. I think Hat is really good, and he plays a lot. And yeah, my other prediction—he plays is, a lot. My other prediction is just the deck that wins Richmond is not in this field. I I agree, probably because it's going to be a different format. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think we're my prediction is regardless of what happens that something's going to get banned. Um, yes, but I mean my prediction stands even if nothing is banned. Yeah, like I think that. We're going to see a world in which if Wizards looks at the cues on Arena or Moto, they're going to see that the answers have so, been found. I look at the Moto decklist every day, yeah. and I play Arena every day. Sure. So like, I play against not 60% Golos. Like a high percentage of Golos, though, relative to other decks. And I play against like a bunch of different decks, though. It's not like mono Golos. I've gotten to Diamond at this point, and there's not that much Golos. That's nice. You were... Platinum yesterday, right? Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, I mean, we started a few days ago playing, like, a serious number of matches. It's, it's, it's a long, it's a long hard slog, guys. So, <laughs> I, uh... I... I think that, I mean, there's, like... And, and the moto cues are a high amount of variety. Yeah. Right? There's not, like, an overpopulation of Golos decks in the moto cues. And there's so many interesting decks. Like Iron Crag Blue Red decks. Yeah, and, and, and we do want to keep in mind that because Golos matches take longer... 
like you're less likely than you really are, should be to face it in any given match in some sense. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But I do think that, frankly, I would not want to be playing Golos in the diamond ladder right does, now. Does that also mean that you're less likely to go 5-0 with Golos decks because you're going to get a super normal number of draws? I mean, there aren't draws online. In On Moto, there's no draws? No, someone's clock runs out. I mean, you oh, can, you, you're you, right. Okay. No, there's no draws. So I think it, it's less likely to get 5-0 because you have less times to play leagues. Like each league attempt takes longer, so you get less of them. Okay. Right? So I think your percentage chance for each entry doesn't change. The, the thing that's sick <laughs> is if you look at some of the league 5-0 lists, there'd be like one guy has multiple decks in the, five, in the same 5-0 list. That's really cool, yeah. That's really cool. There are two different decks. And it also basically means that they couldn't find anyone else with those decks, right? They had to just go with the same guy twice. Like, he was the only person with both of them. <laughs> I mean, like, this, this one guy, I, I, I've seen him multiple times, 5 2 2 of the, yeah. the, in the same league. He has, out, like, a red red aggro deck and then, like, a red-black aggro deck. Okay, that, so that's, that's like, less impressive, right? Like, he's just <laughs> variations. Yeah. They're just like, it's almost like, look at all the variety we have! Yeah, it's like, Half of them were this thing. It's just like, this is a Civic <laughs> deck. I tested two deputy detention and two Teferi. <laughs> but now it's banned. Well, well thank you guys. Oh, for, what's your prediction, Brian? Uh, my prediction is that something is definitely going to get banned. But what about who's going to do good? Who's going to win? Who's going to be in the finals? Is it going to be Kai against Yellow Hat? Was I right? I, I think it's going to be Lishi Tian. Yeah? With his mono red deck. I think he's going to run under a lot of people, and I think he's going to have a tremendously... Uh, emotional moment on camera that uh, will resonate throughout the gaming community. Uh, honestly, I, I, I think I, I think Lee is you know been in this position before, uh, and I, I think he's going to do really well this weekend. And I, I, and I think it's going to be. And I'm really looking forward to seeing him get an opportunity to have a platform to speak. I, I will say absolutely. I have never. Rooted for the mono red aggro deck. <laughs> and this weekend, yeah. I will do that. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> just, just rooting super hard for Lee here. You guys have got some global perspective on a, on a global game. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, uh, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, but again, there's just a ton uh, of stuff going on. And... Uh, is Kibler on coverage this this? this I, be, I believe he is. Yeah, he has some free time. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he he he's he's already streaming a new game. So <laughs> he was talking about it today. You yeah, know. Well, he's got some time on his hands. Yeah. So anyway, so thanks everybody for listening. Uh, it's been Brian David Marshall, Zvi Moshowitz, and Mike Flores for Top Eight Magic. We were one Matt Wang away from a full uh, Top Eight Magic quorum here. What about Steve? Uh, I mean, Steve, Steve's, yeah, I guess Steve, and a Steve. What about Sloppy Stick? No, no. No? No. He's, he's a little after. All so, right. anyway, thanks for listening, guys. Have fun watching this weekend. Thanks.